Comics. Movies. Music. Video games. Technology. Blu-ray. Television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. recording and this is out now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron and Abe is not with us currently, but we are doing a special bonus episode anyway. It's another one of our commentaries. I think our first one in a while, actually. And um, basically, uh, Die Hard, well, a new Die Hard film is coming out, A Good Day to Die Hard, the clever title that that is, the fifth Die Hard film. And um, to, to, to honor this or to prepare, I figured why not do a commentary for one of the Die Hard movies. Which movie? The third Die Hard movie, Die Hard with a Vengeance, and we'll probably get to reasons why soon. But before that, joining me to discuss Die Hard with a Vengeance in a full feature-length commentary, we have writer for Mendelssohn's Memos at Huffington Post, specializing in brain teasers involving water jugs and fountains, Scott Mendelssohn. I could never crack that riddle. It just takes a little time. It makes complete sense if you think about it, actually. (laughs) And we have guest writer for Mendelssohn's Memos, the man who has to answer that phone. Brandon Peters. Good evening. <laughs> or morning, whenever you're choosing to listen. Yeah, yeah for sure. And, um, Any day is a good day to commentary. Hard. Hard. <laughs> Thank you for uh. that. Before we, before we really get underway, I have to say one thing. Uh, I believe a happy birthday to Brandon is in order. In two days. In but, two days, yeah. but who, who yeah. knows when people were going to listen to this commentary. Listen, just... listen to it Sunday, so if you're listening now, stop. If it's not, if it's Friday or Saturday, and then pop in Sunday. I can, I can guarantee you that this podcast will not go out until, like, a week before the movie comes out. So regardless, <laughs> everyone that's listening to this commentary should just be saying happy belated birthday to Brandon right now. That's what they should there be saying. Happy yes. almost birthday. A very merry unbirthday. I think that's the most Birthday important. harder. <laughs> All right. So let's, we're just going to get... It's free or birthday. <laughs> Hard. <laughs> We're just gonna we're, gonna we're gonna get into this one right here. Um, um, Scott, Brandon, and I all have the movie synced up to about five seconds in. It's on the Fox logo. The fanfare is like about to just really kick into gear and overdrive. And so I'm just gonna basically just count down from three here, and we're just gonna press play and go. You guys ready? Yep. On your mark. Okay. Three, two, one, go. Mine's gone, so you can hear it. Yep. <laughs> oh, this is so, the... No, go ahead. This is the, the highest grossing film of 1995. Boom. Yes, and, worldwide, that is true. And uh, the three of us is second adventure together to 1995. <laughs> First one, of course, being our GoldenEye commentary. Yes, you are correct. And my third 1995 commentary with, without now, since I participated in the Batman Forever commentary. We've done basically. This movie made more than Batman Forever. 
Worldwide, yes. Worldwide, uh, okay. yeah. I was going to say. Let's get, let's just, hold on, because this intro to the movie is amazing. Yes. Like, oh, it's it's exactly what you need. The best use of summer in the city, I think, ever. Yes. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Movie titles in. We're good. If I recall, that's all, at least, all, uh, excuse me, that's how all four of the Die Hard films start. With the title, Kaboom, and then off to the races. Um, I believe this. No, wait. This is the first one. The first one has that the whole airplane cold open. I believe. Or does it have? Oh, yeah. you're right. I, think I it, apologize. It has that whole airplane Correct. cold open. But the but the the next three they or I assume probably five. The next three that we know they do start like title straight up, right? I believe. Yes. Like Live Free or Die Hard does that too. Uh, I believe so. I haven't seen it in a while. But anyway, the um, yeah, so here we go. And this movie starts fairly, you know, pretty intense. I mean, besides having oh, yeah. you know, the song playing, it's somewhere in the city, literally. A bomb goes off right now. It's and Please notice the, the the truck that flipped over was Atlantic Courier. Uh, Hans Gruber's men in the first one, their truck was Pacific Courier. Huh. Oh. It was intentional. Well, look at that. Well done, McTiernan. I'd like to think that uh, Children of Men was like, let's start like Die Hard of a Vengeance. In the, yes, that's what they, and they went. That's what they went for. Uh, uh, the, this, this movie gets to business and then gives its backstory throughout. I love it. Yes, it it delivers exposition relatively slowly. The opening of this film, you know, the explosion that we just saw, actually caused a major problem for the marketing. Because does anyone remember what happened one month to the day before this was going to come out? Is that the Oklahoma or? City? Yep. Yes, Oklahoma. Oklahoma City yep. Federal Building was bombed yep. by Timothy McVeigh, and obviously this was the biggest. One of more high-profile movies of the summer, and it was marketed basically with a bunch of explosions. Uh, Bruce Willis basically commented on it, basically saying that you know he didn't want to trivialize the real-life tragedy by discussing it in terms of a movie, and that's really where the discussion basically ended. Yeah, uh, well, McTiernan thought about one cutting the opening explosion, and then like two. Uh, delaying the movie but they just went with what they had and just said screw it and this is like a, this was like a memorial day release or at least around that time uh, the weekend before memorial day okay well that's a big weekend too so it's, yes it's that yeah that sweet spot in may so it's just kicking off the summer and uh, it did about 22 million dollars over opening weekend which was i think the biggest three-day opening of the series at the time i know die hard 2 did about 25 over july 4th weekend to 1990 um, but I don't have the three day numbers on the top of my head. Um, and, uh, and of course, you know, the way this movie opens, uh, with him wearing a very profane sign in, in, I think, is it Harlem? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I remember seeing this. I'm thinking, you know, being shocked that something that overtly offensive was being allowed in what's, you know, inherently a big studio mainstream crowd pleaser. Yes, yeah. This is an R-rated shocking. movie. Yeah, it's a very R-rated movie, and that's something I like about just, I mean, these Die Hard movies, especially these first three Die Hard movies in general, they, they're really, they, you know, they're, they're R-rated action flicks, and especially, you know, like two and three, they're, they're 90s R-rated action flicks, which you just don't get enough of anymore. Like, it's now kind of reverting back to a given what we've, you know, seen fairly recently, but... You know, you have Die Hard, and you have like what Con Air, the Rock, like the Bruckheimer film, Bad yeah. Boys. Like you have a lot of just '90s action movies, and this is well, this is maybe my one of at least my favorite one, maybe. Well, they started getting replaced with comic book superhero movies, pretty yeah. much. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Bef- so. During the '90s, arguably with the exception of of the the ongoing Batman series, these were the A pictures. 
you know, Lethal Weapon 3, Lethal Weapon 4, Die Hard 3, Die Hard 2, you know, the Bond films when they eventually came back, they were the A pictures. Um, the Bruckheimer productions. Yeah, the Bruckheimer productions. You're absolutely well, right. Funny um, you mention uh, Lethal Weapon 3 is uh, this script was originally uh, in consideration to be to be molded into Lethal Weapon 3, but they didn't want to go with it. Is, is it like every Die Hard film is the work of some other writer or some other script that just turned into a Die Hard movie? Well, the first one and the second one are based off of books, and then the fourth one's based off an article. This is the only one that's actually based off existing screenplays. But even which, uh, but I mean, like none of these movies started out as Die Hard movies, right? No, no. Yeah. Uh, this one started out as a script called Simon Says, and I guess the first hour of the film follows the script to a T, and then it becomes more diehard throughout. Yeah. But um, the original script they had, they, the idea was to take it on a cruise ship, but then Under, Under Siege went into production, and they said uh, they weren't gonna, they didn't want to do that. But that script that they dropped ended up becoming Speed, Speed 2. Cruise Control. Yes. And then they wanted to... The next idea was uh, the terrorists would take over the L.A. Uh, subway system. Mm-hmm. Which is a oh. straight line if you've ever taken it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, uh, we, we passed over uh, Bruce Willis's introduction here. But again, he's not, you know... It's not like, hey, everything's all sunny side up for our action hero. He's yes. like haggard. He's tired. He's hungover. He's hungover for love- this movie. When I was a young one, I was like kind of disappointed. Though his wife's not, they're not together. He's a mess. And like as a kid, I was like, man, I, you know, I enjoyed the movie, but it was a little disappointing. But now I love it. I'm like, this is not where you expect to have him. It's yeah, all the, all the work you've seen him do in the first two movies to be with Holly, and now he's yeah. you know he's back. He's 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 lower than ever. <laughs> yeah. Um. No, I, I agree with you. It's it's, it's a double edged sword. You know, on one hand, yes, it does somewhat invalidate the 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 arc that he the journey that he took in the first two films. But you know, at the end of the day, you know, she didn't want to be in the third one. She wasn't happy with basically sitting on a plane for the entirety of part two, and basically said no, thank you when part three came around. Um, which I think benefits. Yeah, it works. It works. The way they work it into the story, I think, is fairly effective. Yes. Yeah. They don't have uh, to for they don't have to force it a lot of characters back into the story and it's allowed to breathe. Whereas Die Hard Two is restricted to that, you know, recycled formula with sequels. This one gets to branch out and be its own thing, which is which now, is why I think it's highly more much more successful than its predecessor. Now, if you're watching this on network television, you'll notice that John McClane is carrying a sign that says "I hate everyone." Yep. Which is however which just. Is, <laughs> Which is what he actually is wearing. Uh, the the end bomb was CG'd on it. It's really I thought it was the other way around, but when they were filming, he wore the "I hate everybody" sign, and they later, which makes a whole lot of sense. He should have seen like this in Harlem, <laughs> yeah. regard, regardless of what signs say that you know, like "Please be quiet" to film a movie filming or something. You wear that kind of sign. That's not the easiest thing to get by people. So. Well, and, yeah. and today you did you know, you'd end up on you know. The TMZ thinking is Bruce Willis a closet racist? Yeah, exactly. No, I'm just doing a Die Hard movie. And so now yes. we get to now we get to the introduction of Samuel L. Jackson's character. I believe this is the maybe the se- the second time they've worked together. Bruce Willis and Sam Jackson yes. at least have been in the third, same together. third time. What's the okay? We have Pulp Fiction and Loaded Weapon One. Loaded Weapon One, oh, of course. Cool. Loaded mm-hmm. Weapon One, and then or he is in the funniest scene in the film. Yeah. But they, this is the first time they share screen. They time. They share screen time. For yes. Sure. Now, but so Samuel L. Jackson who is amazing in this role, but uh, <laughs> regardless of how much he's stretching, he, he's, 
he's this weird like Malcolm X like embodiment of a character in this movie, which is an interesting choice. Well, one thing Zeus... I like. No, go ahead. I say Zeus, god of lightning, uh, Harlem electrician. <laughs> One of the things I, I like about this film is I know I, I always say, oh, oh, it's it's nice when you have you know black characters in movies where they don't comment on the skin color or anything. But this is, you know, the opposite. And this is when I talk about how it's an R-rated movie, the entire film is full of racial tension. I mean, for all intents and purposes, he's a, you know, Samuel Jackson's character is a racist. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, they openly admit that. Um and it's an interesting dynamic. It's the kind of thing you don't generally see in films, especially in mainstream films. When you when you would have a a character, you know, a black character like this, there would be a certain tendency to portray him as somewhat of a saint. Yeah, the, um, the magical the magical black man. Yeah, you know, he can do no wrong. He's very wise. You know, in this film, he's just as much of a you know in his own way, he, he's just as much of an, an f up as as McLean. Yeah, and I'd, I'd like to think that that's maybe an idea of, you know, separating it from something like the Lethal Weapon films, which have, like, you know, the family family man black character and the crazy white cop. You're, like, you're completely switching up things. You're not having, like, the classic buddy cop dynamic going on here. You have a, a, the, a character who's not necessarily likable offhand. I mean, he's certainly, you know, Sam Jackson. You kind of like being around him, especially the, between having the chemistry between him and Bruce Willis. But yeah, it's not the, it's not that same buddy cop dynamic thing, even he's not a cop either, but it's not that well, same buddy film dynamic necessarily. Well, Besides, uh, yeah, sir, there's, there's tension between them. It's, it's a different, it's a different way to approach that, that idea, I guess. Well, it's, well, it's, it works because even though he is obviously a very volatile character right from the beginning, he saves Bruce Willis's life. Oh yeah. And then right from the beginning, he gets embroiled in Simon's mystio. Mm-hmm. So we feel bad for him because he is an innocent bystander caught up in this madness. And, and he's certainly a heroic character, yes. Yes. And for, for for what he's tasked to do in this film, not even if he's given, given yes, he is volatile. Volatile is a better word than unlikable for sure. No, no. I mean, I he is likable in this film. Yeah. Because it's Sam Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well it, in my opinion, I think Jackson elevates what. The, the role completely because their original choice was Lawrence Fishburne and I I don't see it working nowhere even close to as well uh, as this. I, I would agree with that just because the knowing the chemistry between Sam Jackson and Bruce Willis in this movie already for sure and knowing Sam Jackson's personality as opposed to Lawrence Fishburne it seems like say this is more I mean, this is more of a Sam was, Jackson role for sure. Was this well, Sam Jackson's first role like with you know with public conscience of him i know you know he yes. was around for a long time but was this like it's, shortly after pulp fiction right yeah yes it was about six months after pulp fiction and it's interesting you bring that up this film feels in a weird way like the reward movie for several of its cast members you have sam jackson reaping the fruits of his new stardom in this you have jeremy irons in his i kicked ass in the lion king payback movie um, you know, he got this hugely high-profile villain role on the strength of the Lion King. And even to a certain extent, you have Graham Greene, who, you know, five years earlier was in Dances with Wolves. But, you know, because unfortunately, you know, he's a Native American actor in the industry, never really broke out beyond that. And this is one of the few times where you see him playing a ma- major character in a mainstream film where his Native Americanism is irrelevant. And even uh, Bruce, oh. Bruce Willis has never not really been a star. He's coming off of... Something like Pulp Fiction. He had movies in between this and Pulp Fiction, but the, Pulp yeah. Fiction was more of a – that movie played to his strengths as an actor as opposed to being an action yes. guy. And so this movie, it, it also – I think it feels like it fits into that category as well where, yes, it is him going back to a franchise that's made him, you know, the star that he is. But he – you know, he's 
he, he is good at this role. It is fun to see Bruce Willis in this role. And like, after seeing him in something like Pulp Fiction, and then he comes to, you know, North and uh, like <laughs> Color of Night movies that people just don't want to remember. You have him back in a Die Hard movie. And it's like, yeah, I like this. Well, it's interesting because you could argue when he signed on to do this, he was to a certain extent, I don't, you know, to be, I don't want to overstate it. In a, excuse me. In a place of desperation career-wise. Yeah. So he had done, you know, the color of night, you know, uh, Hudson North. Hawk was not a you know, uh, striking distance. Wasn't exactly a box office smash. Um, but by the time this came out, because he was, you know, because Pulp Fiction happened to drop in the middle of this, he was always coming, almost coming from a place of triumph. Yeah. Um, we should do a Hudson Hawk commentary. Oh my god! Oh, I haven't seen that movie in twenty years. That movie is amazing. <laughs> uh, uh, I I saw it on video. I this isn't that bad. It's fun. It is fun. I like. It's a fun movie <laughs> for what they're trying to do with it. It's 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 fine. It's. <laughs> That's not. Oh god. What's interesting about his dynamic, you know, in in the, you know, the police department here is, you know, we've seen him twice as a New York cop in L.A. for one reason or another, and this is the first time we've seen him in his natural environment. With the irony being, here he's just another cop that no one particularly gets along with. Well, wasn't you know, he, too? Wasn't he in, in Washington or something? Yeah, he's in Washington. Washington. Yeah, Washington he's, by mistake. He's in Dulles yeah. Airport. Anyway, I uh, he's, a, he's, he's not in there by mistake. He's trying. He's with his ramp. His uh. Their his parents or his mom or um, Holly's parents. They're all they yes. went to Washington for the holidays. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean, this is the first time we see him in as his, a or cop in his in natural York. environment. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and what I like about at, at least these three, and I do like Live Free or Die Hard. I'm not a I'm not as big on it as I am as the even two. I'm not as big as on the fourth one as I am the first three. But they still all three of these present him as you know just a guy in. An environment, and it just it, lar- it gets larger and larger scale. You know, you got a building, then you got an air- airport, and now you have an entire city. But it still, it feels true to the character of John McClane being stuck in a situation that's just grown way more complicated than it needs to be, while still keeping him as an, um, a man. This movie tests his strengths, I guess, as being a little more capable than the yeah. average person may be. But that's just kind of the bigger nature of sequels. Well, you got to keep going bigger. I mean, yeah. If you want to re- repeat the little concealed environment, you know, adventures the entire time or, you know, spread well, it out, give it. Well, what's interesting about the first four films is that you have the first film, the first two films are basically template, expanded version of that template. You know, he's in a building. Oh, now he's in an airport. This film completely changes the template where he's basically he's running around the city trying to you know, stop bad guys at various intervals. And then in part four, it's a more expanded version of that template. So I'm interested to see in part five, it seems to be they're doing, you know, they're sort of, okay, now what's the next two Die Hard movies are going to be like? He takes all of Russia. Yeah, Yeah. basically. And this city, this movie, it does, you know, it is, it is wise in how it constricts McLean by having him face the threat of Simon calling on the phone and giving him simple tasks, to, or not simple tasks, but tasks to do around the city. So it's not just like him going anywhere he wants to necessarily. So it, it's yeah. still, it, it maintains that kind of hostage aspect. It also adds viewer participation with all these like riddles and, and tricks and stuff. Cause sure. you kind of want to solve them yourself too. So that adds another fun factor. Yeah, it, it does a good job of expanding on this series while still feeling like a diehard film without yes. feeling like a direct repeat, much like two does. And again, I like to, 
<clears throat> but it's certainly it's certainly that kind of sequel that just does the same thing but bigger as opposed to does something to really make it stand out as a sequel. Also, I really like how this ex this expositions plays out. It's very simple. It's just there's a bomb. You got goo in one can. You got goo in another. You combine them. Boom! boom. Like that's all you need to know. <laughs> Viewers, when you see when you see these two get scared. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I like that. I mean, you don't get any of the same supporting cast back, but these new people are quite likable right away. Yeah, they, they yes. feel like people that you would. They just they feel like you know cop people that he'd work with and. They are. They have a. They seem to have a, a rhythm with each other. They have good chemistry together. It feels like an appropriate, you know, situation. And, and they're not too restrictive on McLean, where you could like where you have two part two, where you have Dennis, Dennis Franz, Franz yeah. got to learn the ropes again. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, Paul Gleason in the first one. It's just like, you know, there's a lack of yeah. There's a lack of that character that really just kind of tries to tell McLean what the deal is. And well, yeah. it's it's you're lacking the character that whose primary purpose is to be wrong all the time. It's almost yeah. it's not necessarily Sam Jackson in this movie, but he is more of McLean's foil for the for the most part. Mm. I don't know, I'm not, we're gonna find out about this, you know, in about a half an hour, give or take. I was actually not a fan of the idea of having this having Jeremy Irons be Hans Gruber's brother. Uh only in that it made the the franchise very uh but smaller, more contained universe, as opposed to, you know, it's, oh, in the first film, it was Hans Gruber, you know, an international, you know, you know, bank robber, for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. Not not bank robber, but, you know, a, a thief. The second film, it was a bunch of, you know, American finance drug runners. And then this film, it would just be, you know, a bank robber. Um, And the fourth film, it's a hacker and so forth and so forth. But by, you know, making one and three, basically the same villain, just played by a different actor, it kind of constricts the universe in my opinion um, i'm fine with it. it it loops mclean back in and it i mean it because it doesn't really make much of a difference it's more and even he addresses that he just kind of says it's a small bonus opposed to yeah. uh, it's not like he made this plan dependent on the fact that john i mean it's our, he does use it to his advantage as a way to kind of throw the cops off i guess by having this as a factor in it that it is the same family line but his overall plan is just to get gold and yeah, this just works yeah. to it. It's more of a, something that works to his advantage as opposed to something that's contingent on the plan being a success. And I mean, it is, it's, we got, there's a, there's a little, there's a sense of reality. I'm, I'm allowing to, to bend for the sake of this being at the time, you know, the end of a trilogy of films. Like, that's not, true. As opposed to having like yeah. Reginald Bill Johnson show up again as Al and be like, "Hey, I've been I was on vacation and I heard you were in trouble." Like it's, <laughs> although I'd, completely, I'd be completely welcome to see that actually. He's gonna be in Russia. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. A Hawaiian shirt and with a straw hat in Russia. <laughs> I completely watch that. There's even, okay. There's even like uh, on the, uh, the the Blu-ray, the DVD, the making ups for Die Hard Three. There's even a behind-the-scenes special feature that has it's hosted by original Bill Johnson, and like the ex, he even asked at one point, he's like driving around in a golf cart behind the scenes, and like Bruce Willis gets in with him, and he's like, "So John, why am I not in this movie?" And Bruce Willis like, "Well, you know, this time John McClane's in New York. He's not in L.A. and he's not even an L.A. cop anymore. And that's it. That's like the entire explanation." <laughs> But at least Bill Johnson was involved in some capacity, I guess. He got to help in the promotion of the movie. Uh. 
hell. <laughs> hey, partner, I need, I really need some help. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm the wrong guy in the wrong place. <laughs> you invited me to this party, pal. <laughs> uh, I shot a kid. Why'd you say that? I don't know. <laughs> Dude, that was like 25 years ago. <laughs> ah, I was dark. Okay. <laughs> Would this movie open up with like what's going on in May of 1995? Um, it came. It was the second major movie of summer behind Crimson Tide. Opened a week beforehand. Ah, it's the summer kickoff movie. The week afterwards was Memorial Day, where you had Braveheart, Casper, Johnny Mnemonic, and Mad Love. Johnny Mnemonic. Yes. Johnny Mnemonic. Okay. Otherwise known as not the Matrix. <laughs> yes. Dolph Lindgren acts in that movie. I think. He does. Um, <clears throat> so I, I meant to mention this earlier. I, I chose Die Hard of a Vengeance for us to do a commentary for. One, because I just watched the other two. So I'm like, yeah. Then, <laughs> <laughs> but also, I love this movie. I don't know if I made that kind yes. of clear, but I love this movie. It's one of my favorite movies. Just in, I mean, a, a ton, on, a, on a list of many, many movies. But one of my favorite action movies of all time. And like as much as I love Die Hard, Die Hard's also one of my favorite movies. I've watched this movie more. I'm I'm very aware of that. Die Hard may be the better movie. Not maybe. It is the better movie in terms of it's a good movie overall and like it for what it does. But I've watched Die Hard of a Vengeance more than I've watched most movies, I think. I absolutely love this movie. Everything about it. The chemistry between McLean and Sam Jackson, the way the plot factors out, just the fact that it's a Die Hard movie. I love everything about this movie. So it's just exciting to watch it all the time. Well, I'm glad to hear because I love this movie too. I've lo- I mean, I saw it in the theater. I was just ready to start it again when <laughs> it used to come on like hbo like all the time for me in the 90s for whatever reason and it's like yeah all right like i just watched this movie a lot <laughs> even on tv oh. <laughs> so there, there's a lot there there is people you know thanks thank you internet like i thought this movie was well received and well liked throughout but they're haters on the internet of course and I, I don't understand it. Everyone points to like him surfing on a dump truck scene, I think, which we'll get to later on. I think that's the there's the Pulp Fiction reference. Um, you make Captain, <laughs> Captain Kangaroo, but um, I feel I like... remember I remember wondering if that was intentional in the theater. I'm thinking, wait a minute, completely. That's <laughs> the soundtrack to the other movie they made. That doesn't make any sense. That's something I like about Willis. Willis is very happy to parody himself whenever he gets the yes. chance to. It doesn't yeah. always work, Ocean's 12, but I mean, it's like, <laughs> sometimes, it's, I like what he does. <laughs> um, no, I, I don't, you know, getting back to something you mentioned earlier, I don't think Lawrence Fishburne would have worked as well because I wouldn't buy as, him as much physical he's, danger. He's no, a very he's not guy. Um, you know, Sam Jackson here is, is, you know, skinny and lanky and, you know, you buy the fact that he is, you know, he could be killed. Well, he's just got this demeanor that he's an a-hole. Like, yeah. I can't buy, I can't get that off Fishburne. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. I could, yeah. I could, I... Fishburne, Fishburne would fit the magical black man thing that we were talking about earlier, but I don't know. And also, what uh, David Thewlis was actually cast as Simon Gruber, right? Really? Correct. Really? I yeah, did not know that. Yeah, he was cast and I guess quit or something. But he was. But the original pick was Sean Connery, but Sean Connery didn't want to do it. <laughs> he was like, John Frankenheimer just hired me for the Island of Dr. Moreau with Marlon yeah. Brando. You guys suck it. <laughs> <laughs> he just, well, he probably also had Dragonheart that year. 
He did have Jedis. No, that's that's, that's nice. Yeah, you know, I saw him in those two movies. Like, ooh, I like this guy. I wonder what he's I was, I was gonna do. And then he did almost nothing for ten years. Yeah, because well, he was he was raining in all the royalty checks from uh, Naked. Exactly, Naked Lunch. <laughs> Naked Lunch with David Cronenberg. <laughs> um, uh, th- this riddle I don't pay attention to because I just I don't try. The the water the water riddle I get. This riddle I just don't even think about, even though it's incredibly simple once it says zero, but or one, whatever. See, I'm wondering if if some of the L.A. Uh, the L.A. subway stories from the earlier scripts made it over to this one because of this upcoming action sequence. Hmm. I like them working this. <laughs> Sorry, they just get they just get angry and angry with every reel. Well, I mean that's part of the fun of the movie because you're sitting here trying to figure it out with them too, and they're confusing you, and you're just yeah, try, you're trying to watch a movie, trying to figure out some math, and then have guys shouting numbers, messing with your numbers in your head. It's great. And you're thinking also, Willis has a hangover this whole movie, so like yes. <laughs> none of that's helping. <laughs> <laughs> also, yes. lots of hair still in '95. For Brian, yeah, for John, has some, for John. has some bugs. Well, I'm, I'm well, I'm sure he does. Willis has a... <laughs> What was this? He has a fun with his hair, just like Sam Jackson does in most movies. But I mean, in terms of the John McClane character, he still has, still has got hair going before he goes completely bald for the next one, which is what, like fifteen years? How many years later? Is uh, teen years? Twelve. Twelve, 12, 12 years. years. Yeah. Um. They couldn't have given Zeus another shirt after he got stabbed with the. <laughs> I love this. This is great. <laughs> when the guy hands him the dollar. Yes, yes. <laughs> and that's another thing I like about this movie. It it has this kind of authentic New like it's a great New York movie for sure. Like it, people are like, yeah, all right, whatever. <laughs> Weird guys in the show. Uh, Jason takes Manhattan will always be my New York. <laughs> and Vancouver. <laughs> What's interesting about this picture, and to be honest, I don't remember how long this is going to continue, but there's not a ton of action and violence for the first half of the film, I'd say, give or take. It's, yeah, it's, Most of it is them running around trying to solve riddles. Um, and even when the action starts, one thing I think is interesting, with the exception of the opening bomb blast, which I'm assuming kills several people because you see them caught right in the blast, uh What's his name? Jeremy Irons goes out of his way not to kill his, you know, to not kill people if he doesn't have to. Yeah, and he addresses that as well. Yeah. And it's not a monster. Yeah. And even like, yeah, the opening bomb, that probably does kill his people, I think. Yeah. But the, the, the next bomb, the train bomb, it's very it's made very clear that there are only injuries. No one actually died. Because... Which, which I always wondered was a was a post-dub after the Oklahoma City bombing. It could have been, but at the same time, McLean, like, did his effort to, he does, he does, yeah. see, he does stop it from do, having its maximum effect. Which yeah. I guess would have probably uh, would most likely would have killed people since Simon didn't want it to go off. I guess that's the thing. yes. So it still um, meets the desired because it does co- it does cause the, dis- the distraction, which is what yeah. he wants. No, it's when I was sitting there in a the theater, is that that line caught my attention because it, for one thing, it was somewhat loud. They wanted to make sure everybody heard that. So I wondered, you know, was that added at the last minute? And you know, it doesn't matter either way. Yeah, uh, you're right. It, it works just as well. If it's simply. You know, McLean saves everybody. 
which I think could, it complements why I like this movie so much. It's yeah, it, it it everything kind of falls into the ending. I know we'll get to not we'll kind of discuss that, but I mean everything kind of falls into place throughout this movie in a fairly appropriate manner. It does it getting across exposition without me feeling like you're being told the plot all the time. The action's nifty. The uh, Actually, Scott, what you're saying about the action not kicking in, it's really basically once they split up, that's when the action really kicks in. Yeah, you're as, right. As, yeah. Long, as long as they're together, it's all this. It's all just fun, them bantering and solving riddles. And once they split up, that's when McLean's like, all right, let's get the gun out. Like, that's that's the movie. <laughs> well, there, there, was a, there was a TV special on this when uh, before it came out in theaters. And this chase scene is always kind of ruined for me because I can always spot the stuntmen <laughs> in it because <laughs> there, there was a big focus on this and – the, the stuntmen for it and you can i can spot them every every time the shot shows there's one big shot that comes up that i'm just like yep big time stuntman but this had that a, had i not watched that i'd probably be able to still imagine bruce willis driving the car this is a lot of fun too and it's like i i, I can't imagine this being easy to do today driving a car through central park, central park. <laughs> like this this, this this is like all, I mean, it's McTiernan doing what he... Like, McTiernan's a great action director, right? We can agree on yes. that, correct? Yes, and like, yes, yes, yes. He brings it here. Like, he's not he's not taking any precautions for this movie. He's like, yeah, I'm going to make a New York action movie. I'm going to go to New York and I'm going to film taxi, taxi cabs flying around the city. Like, it's it's just it's just a lot of fun, practical fun. It's... Did he do anything? Of, I mean, I know he did make films, and I'm one of eight people that actually likes the 13th Warrior. But other than that, did he do the Thomas Crown Affair remake? Yes. Okay, that's the one that's, really successful film he made after this. I think Basic made money too. Like, uh, it made about a dollar. Eh, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't. Th- I don't think. Ba- I don't think Basic was a bomb necessarily. Uh, no, it wasn't a flop, but it. But it, yeah, it's, certainly. Yeah, it's certainly not like. Yeah. It, yeah, it didn't like set the world on oh. fire, but and yeah, Rollerball. That's a terrible movie, but. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and you know, McTiernan was using this to recover from Last Action Hero. Yep. Yeah. Um. And, and Medicine Man, right? Like Medicine, yeah. That's had, right. That was what he did that too. He did back now, to back. Now he's going to jail for a year. Yeah, which yeah. is quite sad. <laughs> but, uh, oh. I mean, yeah, this and Thomas Crown Affair, like he... he... Yeah, his last film was basic. Yeah. Yeah. The the uh, wild things of military movies. <laughs> well, you know, and this is something I've, I've touched upon here and there, but, you know, it drives me nuts you have all these big franchises that are popping up left and right, and the studios are giving them to these untrained commercial directors that have no experience whatsoever, and they're shocked when a lot of the times they turn in a shoddy product. And I'm thinking, you know, you have, you know, somewhat of an action-centric genre film, you know, hire McTiernan or or Jan DeBont or Andrew Davis, you know, somebody like that who knows what they're doing and can at least deliver, you know, the the you know, a certain competence on the basics. Put these new guys in second unit, let them get their feel for that, and then, you know... Exactly. Then let them get Yeah. Started. Um... McTiernan dominated the, like, early in his career, right? Predator, Die Hard, Hunt for Red October, three back-to-back-to-back. Yeah. That's that's an amazing yeah. run. It is. It was mostly all downhill from there. Then he, then he, then he got, he took his one for me way too early. Med- yeah, Medicine Man. <laughs> it's like, you know what? This Lorraine Bracco-Connery joint is gonna work, guys. <laughs> and he's like, "All right, yeah, you fooled me once, but how about this ahead of its time Schwarzenegger action parody movie?" I actually you know enjoy what? Last Action here. I'm one of the few, but I I still don't because the third, yes, it was ahead of its time to a certain extent. But the third act, but, is messy. Well, the third yeah. act messy is the kid drives me nuts. I find yeah, there's it, a, there's that stunt man. 
I find the kid to be incredibly obnoxious and annoying. And the whole concept of him constantly commenting and trying to convince Schwarzenegger that it's really a movie negates the fun of watching them participate in a movie. I completely agree with you, Scott. And I well, think it's yeah. I think that it's because of how ahead of its time it is they don't know how to handle that type of character yet. Oh, no, you're absolutely right. And, but I still agree with you that I don't think the movie's good overall. Well, great overall. I think it's entertaining for what it's trying to do. I just get – I think it goes way too dark in the last act of the Jack the Ripper stuff. It does. That's, that's what gets to me. I'm like, this movie's supposed to be fun, and this is all too like, real. Wow. Yeah. Like, good, good job, Thomas Noonan. Way to – Tom Noonan. Way to really what? capture the character. Well, that, that's, the prob- that's the whole problem with was... a lot of movies back then, too. They would sometimes – when they'd go dark, they'd go way too dark. Well, I think um, the whole was... film, you know, when it's in the real world, is very gloomy. And it's trying to contrast the happy fantasy of the film, but it's genuinely depressing. I mean, the kid gets mugged at home in the very first scene of the film. Yeah, okay. And you have a yeah. bit in the second act where uh, Charles Dunst, I think his name, Charles Dance? Charles Dance, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the villain, you know, he murders a completely innocent gas station attendant for fun. And he's like, this this isn't fun, this is depressing. Yeah, it has some. It has tonal issues. That's the. Yeah, it really does. By the way, when McLean jumps in, he's like, "This is a bad idea." That's a complete trailer shot, right? That's like, yeah, yeah we need this. <laughs> shot, <right? laughs> hey, two towers. Oh, the two towers. Which apparently are not present in CW's The Carrie Diaries. Uh, yeah, I saw that. So I've been told. Another another <laughs> great New York experience. I bet the the, the Carrie Diaries, but um... so. <laughs> Uh, what if this character was um was was Peck not Peck that's Ghostbusters was um the oh the the, the, reporter? the, the reporter character the reporter. yeah <laughs> I, that would work that would be work. silly but it would be silly you know, it, it would work because McLean's not there exactly yeah. because yeah. they don't know each other which so. is which is largely the same as Die Hard too I guess even though that yeah it's it's really Holly and him that have that relationship that matters yeah. but that would be an interesting cameo I think. <laughs> William Atherton. That's the name I'm trying to think of. Yes. Um, Dick Thornburg. There it is. Got it. <laughs> like that, if it was just a really small cameo, I wouldn't have minded that. If it was him in that tab, that would have been something. Maybe he'll be in Russia with Al. <laughs> <laughs> this is an amazing subway cop, by the way, too. Although he... Sam Jackson doesn't exactly do much to hide the fact that he jumped over that thing. There's always someone at the phone. Yep. They're Gruber plants. I like McLean's kind of copness right here. It's... I'm a cop. Get, get out. <laughs> There's this man that's, like, bleeding and rushing through the subway. He's like, I'm a cop. Get, get out of my way. <laughs> oh. Nobody's too concerned about what this thing is. So. It's, it's not a emergency phone. Yeah. <laughs> he's a cop. He's fine. He's, he's a cop. He's, he's bleeding and oily. <laughs> There, he gets incredibly bloody by the end of this film. Oh yeah, he gets just uh, when he gets on that tanker ship. There's a shot of him yeah. just like covered in blood. Oh yeah, I remember when yeah. I first they showed that. There's a shot they show in the trailer where he's carrying a gun. It's actually yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, Bruce Willis, and it looks like he's got a beard. Yeah, it does exactly. There's like it's blood, <laughs> yeah. like all over him. That it's just like gnarly because after he beat up that guy and everything. Yeah, yeah. Well, if he's not bloodied up by the end of it, it's not a diehard movie. 
Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that is, and even with Lou Ferrier Diehard, and I hopefully assume yeah. with the next one, I mean, he is a man that bleeds. That's the kind of thing about John McClane in these movies. And even, I mean, that's not exclusively to his character, but John McClane, he gets beat up in these movies, and it looks like he's in pain in these movies, yeah. and that's <laughs> effective. Well, that was, of course, you know, I'm not saying anything anyone else doesn't know, but that was part of the appeal of the first Die Hard is it was, it was an everyman action hero. Yeah, it wasn't Stallone. You know, he was just a guy. Yeah. It um, wasn't Stallone. It wasn't, it wasn't Arnold. It was some real guy. Um, and, you know, because of that, you know, one of the reasons the first film works as well as it does is he could die. And, of course. Hard. This is a, yeah. <laughs> you know, a spoiler to anyone that is, hasn't read the book that the first Die Hard's based on, but in the book, he does die. Oh, that's cool. Uh, doesn't his daughter die, too, in the book? Uh, I don't know. I, I just know that he dies. This book sounds horrible. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a... Yeah. One of these days, I need to read it. <laughs> it's well, like, Nothing Mc, Lasts Forever. Yeah, McTiernan, like, didn't want to do it at first, and then they lightened up the script for him, and... Uh, yeah, they need to do it. They're like, no, no, we got it. <clears throat> Just think this, McTiernan. That's how they call him. moonlighting. <laughs> like that's how they say moonlighting. Well, the, the and they talk about this in the commentary. What have you for the first Die Hard is the key to making the movie work is they basically turned it into a caper movie where just our focus was on the antagonist. Where they they basically reversed the you know where the the, the you know Gruber and his men were the protagonists in the story. And McLean was the antagonist. We just happened to be following the antagonist in, this, in the in the film. Um, and that's what I think is actually what makes the first Die Hard different from all the other three or four, and whatever the case may be, is that they, the other, the sequels follow a slightly more traditional. Hey, there's a hero. There's a plot. He's got to stop it. Type thing. Yeah, I'd agree. With, I, yeah, I see that. Um, that um, that Sam Jackson confrontation scene. Completely done in the Incredibles as well. Every time I watch the Incredibles, I think of that where they <laughs> the scene where like they both like Bob and Frozo and like break into the the wrong build. Like they're trying to escape the fire, the building on fire, and then they get into the the jewelry building, and the and the cop gets there and he's like, "Put put your hands up," and he's like, "I'm just gonna drink a water." It's like that whole scene is exactly this scene that him yeah picking up the oh, phone. Yeah. <laughs> you know that that like all, that made me laugh at theaters, and no one else seemed to. Get why? Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh. I like this little addition here. This uh, it just lends kind of the New York aspect to it, where you have like this random office building where they're just eating popcorn and watching what happened downstairs just now. Comes up later on when they're just kind of looking into this hole that just happened. <laughs> and John McClane's okay. <laughs> It's okay. I'm a cop. He's unbreakable. I'm a cop. He's unbreakable. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a cop. (laughs) Go to the subway, solve a little riddle. (laughs) There it is. He's eating popcorn. Graham Greene's the important exposition. There you go. Shitload of cut and bruises. Yeah, everybody's okay. (laughs) He wanted that bomb to go off. 
We haven't even seen Jeremy Irons yet at all, have we? No, we haven't. Oh, this is one of those while. you don't meet the villain until 50 minutes in type action films, like a number of the Bond films. Um, And like, you know, Jack Reacher. Which is, you know, he's playing a Bond villain anyway, so that makes sense. With Werner Herzog, who's charred <laughs> up his own fingers because he was in the camps once and he just needed to survive. And the only way to do that was to no longer have the fingers that he needed. What he said. <laughs> I, I am really sad that we're not going to see Attack of the Malak. <laughs> I was really looking forward to that. Are these guys named Johnson? I forget. I be- <laughs> <laughs> no relation. <laughs> Agent Robert Davi was my brother too. Bond villain Robert Davi. Bond yes. Villain Robert Davi tied it all up. <laughs> uh, this is the big exposition, where in order to introduce Hans Gruber, they show the silliest shot in the first film. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, this is an audio commentary, but... In all fairness, it was the last time he saw Hans Gruber. That is true. (laughs) I like that that's his memory of him. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Him? (laughs) Like, even Alan Rickman was surprised in that shot. He was like, (laughs) I get paid now. (laughs) I'm officially in this film. If this had won a Screen Actors Guild Award for Ensemble, I would have gotten one. Because Sean Bean did get a, a SAG award for for Return of the King for his two second cameo in his death scene. Christopher <laughs> Lee cut out of the film at the last minute. Did not. Well, I'm, I'm clearly. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that guy looks like one of the. Uh... Like a German SNL character from the <laughs> like what? One of those Will Ferrell characters? Like they're Sherry or Yeah, yes. <laughs> well, I, I like they say you know freelance terrorism by contract. Like, <laughs> how else do you do freelance terrorism? You, you, the things are different in Europe. PayPal, which didn't exist in 1995. Okay, so the girl in this uh, in this film, Sam Phillips. Pop star. Yeah, she's a composer, yeah. She's currently doing Bunheads, and she did Gilmore Girls as a composer for those shows. I did not know that. This starts the proud tradition that I'm assuming is continued in the next film of um, mute female villains. Right? Yes. Who's who's in four? Is it Gong? Or Maggie Q. Maggie Q. Maggie Q. I was like, it's some some name that has a long first name and a very short second name. (laughs) And I don't know who the villainess in the fifth film is, but the marketing really wants me to know that she takes off most of her clothes. Well, yes, she she, un- she unzips her jacket. Yeah. Yes. Well, she rides motorcycles, so that's you know, that's her being safe. We, we passed. And she could be mistaken for the T-Mobile girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but with a Russian accent, I assume. Yes. Um. That is okay. Here's a question, just diehard question in general: Diehard two villain or Timothy Oliphant and live for your diehard? I I go. I, I'm not. Huh. I'll, I'll say Timothy Oliphant. Over William Sadler and, and John yes. John Amos? <laughs> well, yes. I, I like Die Hard 2 a lot, more than most people, arguably. I agree. But the villains, you know, they're not colorful. They're purely strictly business. And since, you know, John Amos, you don't even know he's the villain until almost the end of the film anyway. But he's John Amos. So. Yeah. 
He's the, well, the owner you, of the you can even You can shovel Franco Nero in there, too, with them. Yeah. As well. Yeah. Um, but no, definitely the elephant, you know, I, I think he's a perfectly fine villain. I do, too, uh, but my one of my disappointments about Live Free or Die Hard, which is a movie, again, I do like, is that I know Fantastic, as I call him, can, <laughs> can he, he can be really threatening as a villain. Look at even bad films like The Girl Next Door. He's a really great villain in that movie, and that's kind of the wild energy I was really hoping to see in Live Free or Die Hard from him, and I was real excited about seeing it, and then he just kind of is hacker guy. That's just See, I, yeah. I like that he didn't overdo it. Someone could have easily just went way too over the top. I would have liked that. I, I, it's a Die Hard movie. <laughs> yeah. Gonna die I, I, I really, really, I enjoyed Maggie Q more than I did him. But... I, I agree, just because she seemed like a threat, opposed to, you know, Timothy yeah. Oliphant not, yeah. not being Timothy Oliphantastic. <laughs> you are justified in your complaints. Thank you. <laughs> even, like, even Go, he's really threatening in that movie. Like I just... He is. That's the first time I saw him, I think. That's the first, uh, Scream 2. <laughs> yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. And the, he's, he's crazy. Spoilers! He's wild and screamed. I didn't say anything about Scream 2 in his character, but he's wild in that movie. <laughs> <He> just... <laughs> Brandon just did, thanks. Yeah. But he's, he's a wild character in that movie, so I was like... Yeah, I, 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 I first got to know him, and I've lo- I've liked him ever since as an actor. Yeah, I do too. I mean, I, he's fine in Live Free Die Hard. He just... Uh, there's more, there was more potential, I think, for him as a villain in that movie. But that said, yeah, the, those are... Among the among these Die Hard films so far, we don't know what's in store for us in the fifth one. Maybe it is Al. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> which would be... That'd be something. But, I mean, yeah, to the, the even-numbered diehards do seem to have the less colorful villains. They're not they're not Gruber men. That is interesting so far. I, what it would seem the uh, marketing for Die Hard 5 doesn't seem to be telling you who the bad guy is. Because, well, yeah, yeah, it wants to play up the, the sun factor as opposed to the yeah. bad guy factor. Probably because um, if I had to guess, they don't have as colorful as a bad guy. Or it's Raid Servadaya, and we just saw him in Taken 2, Electric Boogle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always happy to see him. Um, anytime he gets work, that's fine by me. Um. Raid Servadaya? Yes. Man, I just watched Taken 2 again. He is, that that movie is not good. Did you watch the unrated cut? Uh, no, I watched it at a at a comedy show thing, so there could be talking over it, which was oh. quite humorous. But I did watch the alternate ending, which is... Interesting <laughs> choice that they made. Do you mind revealing? I can do it after we finish this conversation. Okay, that's fine. For now, back to Die Hard of a Vengeance. Uh, <laughs> oh, right, that. We have the, um, uh, what's his name, Cobb is informing everybody. Of, we got to go to all the, is it the school thing? We got to go to all the schools. Yes. And, uh, yes. Figure. And again, that that's something that would never be done today. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of things in this oh, movie. Oh, no, you mean the school that- Okay. Yeah, the I thought you meant like giant exposition of what we need to do. No, no, no. I mean <laughs> the idea of a villain, you know, threatening to blow up a school. Yeah. Okay. Um. And again, when I when I say this film is very R-rated, it's not even so much because of violence and language, because it's not insanely violent and it's no more profane than any other action film. But you know, the subject matter is unapologetically adult. You know, you have yeah. you know racial tension. You have you know brief moments of pretty gruesome violence. And you have, again, you have a character threatening to blow up a bunch of school children. Yeah. Um, and in a weird way, this almost felt like the, the, the end of an era. You know, this film was right before, you know, if you, you know, you still have the Bruckenheimer films of the late 90s. But in a weird way, this almost felt like the end of, of truly adult R-rated action films. 
I don't know. I mean, um, like, you still have, like, coming up Con Air, Face Off. Yeah, yeah, you had a yeah. couple years. Enemy of the State. Years. Like, I think that... I, I, I by, by 99, it was pretty much... And again, that's four years later. But for some reason, when I watch this movie, this seems like this is the kind of movie that in five years wasn't being made. Yeah, but I mean, I feel like the 90s literally ended when the yeah. 90s ended in terms of this kind of action yeah. movie. I, 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 I get, well, I mean, you also had, you had Columbine getting in there, too. And that's so what that, it was. That changed that's what changed the game. But there's, yeah, there's, there's, Scott, there's four nine. years between this hey, and Hey, it's Colin. that guy. He's the... the uh... <laughs> <laughs> um, no, no, I, maybe bad choice of words. It just, it, this feels very much like I, you know, everything that didn't get made in the 2000s. Right here. This movie. Yeah. Every, oh, you yeah. know. For sure, yeah. It, it certainly reflects this time period perfectly in terms of what R-rated it, action it, movies it, were capable of. Or even action movies were capable of. Um, And even something like, you know, Con Air... You know, it's, it's, it's almost satirical and it's, it's a very, oh, he has to get home to, you know, save his wife and kid type thing. That's very, you know, it's a family friendly plot, even in an unfamily friendly movie. I get that. Well, but I mean, you get to like Enemy of the State. I think that's a fairly yeah. adult drama fixed yeah. with. Well, that's, oh, I, that's what it's like is that that movie is almost PG-13. And I don't mean that as an insult. It's just, it's only violent when it absolutely has to be. Yeah. Well, I mean, also, do you think. Part of it is too that they would never allow a cast to be led with, made entirely of people of their age. In this, I mean, they'd have to throw some young people in there. Well, and that's Die Hard Four for you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, they don't. I mean, they would never dare make a movie with all their cast what over the age of thirty six. You got two expect two two expendables movies came out. (laughs) Well. Well, and that was a big deal because well, of that. That one Expendables movie also had uh, one of the Thor brothers, or what's it's his true. name? Uh, fair, fair enough, because we also got like abduction last year or whatever. Yeah, was yeah. So yeah, I, and you had the you had the young girl in the Expendables too, as well. I mean, I, yeah, I, 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 right. Yeah, I certainly, I, I certainly see what you're saying. Like you know, like boy, Born Identity, Matt Damon's still in his twenties in that movie, right? Yeah, yeah. Um. And, and they threw Julia Stiles in there. Yeah, even like <laughs> well, even some of all fears, which was on the other day, and I like that movie quite a bit more than more, most people do. But Ben Affleck's also it. in his twenties. I mean, um, who's who's the teenage people supposed to be? You know, looking at and going, "Oh, cool, he's in this." There's nobody. Yeah, for sure. That does. Yeah, I, I I get what exactly what you're saying. That does not. That was part that, of the allure of you know me as a young person going. I'm seeing an adult movie. I'm, this is this is for smarter people. And, and yeah, and this. Old, this reflects what you said at the beginning, where this movie was re- essentially replaced by the superhero films, because this movie's yeah, about, yes. about action stars. You got Willis, Stallone, Arnold, C- Cage to an extent. I mean, they're all – Will Smith. They're all, you know, they're all people that are in summer action movies. But now you have young people. You got Chris Evans and Chris Hemsworth with a really nice smile playing you know, Thor and Captain America in movies. So it, well, I mean, at, at this time, too, the, the thing competing with this was the like the sci-fi action movie. Was starting to come up with like the Independence Days and Men in Black. Big, basically, Will Smith. Yeah, they're competing with. Well, yeah, Will Smith. <laughs> yeah. Big Willie Weekends. Well, there, uh, there were there were some others. I know what you're like saying. Yeah. Charlie Sheen, the Arrival. Yeah, I, that's a good um, movie. That's a really good movie. I really. It really yeah, is. Yeah, that's one of the um, smartest yeah. sci-fi. Well, th- this is a year after Stargate, and Stargate was really the first original sci-fi property to not flop like crazy since what Star Wars. Yeah, offhand, and, you know, paved the way for like Starship Troopers. And just the Emmerich and, side of things, too. Yeah. Um, and 51 minutes of the movie, we've had our first on-screen murder. Uh, uh, something I do... I mean, I, I yeah. you, were, you were talking earlier about how R-rated this movie is in terms of its content. 
I do agree that, yeah, it's certainly, it's R-rated because it has, it's dealing with certain types of content, but the movie is pretty profane. It is have a, it does yeah. have a lot of violence. I, I you are, you're uh, downplaying it a little bit here because no, it, it gets its R. It, it just gets, takes its time to get there. It gets pretty yes. violent and it gets, uh, no, but they're, I'm saying, they're swearing throughout. Twin Towers again. Yep. Yep. It's all uh, this movie because it's, it's huge. <laughs> they're huge. Uh, no, it, it, it's, 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 certainly it's, you know, obviously it's a much lower body count than say the second film, which crashes a plane. Um, with children and families on. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, Again, something that I, I well, no, that's not true. I was gonna say I can't imagine that, but we've seen that since then. The second Mission Impossible movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, no, no, the, the the violence is somewhat sparse, but it never cuts away. Okay. So when someone does get killed, you you know you see it. Yeah, like she's gonna but, kill somebody. Like, yeah, she's gonna slice the crap out of a bank guard in about ten minutes. Well, and I, I, and this guy's gonna get his neck broken pretty soon. It can't be stated how dangerous Jeremy Irons just feels in this movie. You're you're yes. trembling every time he's on screen. Yeah, despite the fact that he is, as he says, not. And a you monster. just met him. Yeah. And you just met the guy. I and think, you're just trembling. And yeah. Jeremy Irons in this movie, he's like really handsome in this movie. Like he he he's like yes. he's a Gruber. He he yeah. has this sense of fashion. He has these really slick glasses and a nice suit. And he you know he looks like a generally handsome person who just happens to also be you know a criminal. <laughs> Well, maybe it's because McTiernan's telling it like we're we're with like we're almost like his hostage right now. Like we know everything, and we see these poor people who have no clue. Yeah, coming up, and you can't do anything to help them. And it's just a great place that McTiernan probably makes a choice to put us in, which we never feel likely in Die Hard Two or Die Hard Four. Like this one, like it does feel it does feel like the. It feels like a good partner to the first Die Hard film in terms of wrapping it into this kind of trilogy or even wrapping it into the first film again by having not only him being his brother. But, I mean, it takes its time, but it does get to this idea of here is this guy who looks like a regular businessman who happens to be the villain who's, you know, he's putting his – he's getting his way into this building. He has this team already with this elaborate plan going on and just the way it – it's not, you know, necessarily remaking Die Hard, but it certainly has a lot in common with Die Hard and how this yeah. plan is going down, regardless of the fact that it's, you know, an hour into the movie before we finally see it go on. Well, and th- this yeah. is one of those sequels that, and this is a minor pet peeve of mine, but whatever, no big deal, that it doesn't acknowledge Die Hard 2. Yes. Um, and uh, unfortunately, and frankly, Die Hard 4 doesn't acknowledge 2 or 3. And I would imagine Die Hard, you know, I'm, I don't know, Die Hard 5 is not going to acknowledge 2, 3, and 4. I, it um, based on the trailers, I think it know like you have the daughter like coming back in the yeah the, the fifth one is yeah. Winstead's got a cameo, I think, at the beginning of the next. Film. Yeah, she does. But no, I know I know what you're saying, and uh, yeah, I can agree. It doesn't really bother me just because it, it's the kind of the knock it's, the knock it, it holds me, no it, it holds no importance to this plot other you know Die Hard two yeah yeah um and that's one of the things that I liked about Fast Five two years ago. Which is that you really, you know, it not only required you to see the at least one, two, and four, if not three. I mean, three's, you know, for obvious reasons I'm not going to go into, but it, it, if you had seen the previous four, the film benefits from benefits from it. You you know, you having that continuity in your, yeah, it it benefits from an emotional continuity. Um, 
And I, I like when franchises do that, frankly. I, I yeah, um, I get that, but like, yeah, two doesn't and again. It's, two, it's a minor pet peeve. I mean, it's not I, a deal breaker or anything. Yeah, and, but I feel like it'd make more of a difference if two, you know, in the scheme of things, mattered in these movies. Like, how what else could you really address? It's like, is that the guy that saved Nakatomi Tower and those airplanes at Dulles Airport? Like, <laughs> like, how, like the Nakatomi thing that seemed like that was like. An, I don't think McLean got the got any kind of credit for being involved in at Dulles Airport as opposed to being involved in Nakatomi Tower. The same kind. It's probably of true. They probably covered all that up. That, that and it was probably. I think it was a collaborative effort. People would. Yeah, they probably didn't yeah. cover it up. They probably covered. They played down his presence, which would probably be a wise thing. I mean, if there was some kind of real life, you wouldn't want to like associate this guy with all these events that keep like terrorist acts that happen, and like John McLean happened to be the person there. Well, yeah, because he had a bunch of gu- people gunning for him. Exactly. So, Aaron, you, I want to point something out. You, I like how you said, like, you know, he's he's dressed like a Gruber, mm-hmm. you know, at the beginning when we first meet him. But, like, kind of like on the surface where, um, you know, we think that the he's leading the revenge of McLean to be this main thing where it, it's just a, you know, red herring for the police to keep him busy. Uh, just like he's wearing the suit. And then immediately takes it off, and he's not quite Hans Gruber. He's a little more relaxed. He's not maybe the styled suit is a front. For sure. Yeah, I can just see like that. just like his his McLean plot is just more of a front, and he's totally different guy here. And also uh, to supplement that, also in terms of him being more like a Gruber again, though he does also have a red herring in the form of McLean just as. Uh, Hans Gruber has the idea of releasing all these random brothers in arms that he was claiming to as the as his host as his his um his ransom in the first Die Hard film. Like he had a his own red herring in that film as he does yeah. as this Gruber has in this film. Yes, and the the same sort of plan of pretending that you like blew over everything and died in the fire as opposed. Very true. Yeah, I mean... Also, Jeremy Irons does say that he hates his brother or he at least yes. he, he calls he calls him an asshole yeah pretty much <laughs> and yes that that security guard met a horrible death oh my yes. god <laughs> yeah and they both have henchmen named carl i did not catch that you're right he's named carl isn't he please carl Wait, is his name Carl? He has a, yeah, he has a henchman named Carl. I don't think the main one. The main, okay, Carl, the main but... one's not named Carl. I was gonna say, it's like yeah. that would be too convenient, right? <laughs> like, uh, oh, I love this part. Is this the the water the jugs? jugs? Yes. Okay, this I can do. This I, this I know how to do. This this one. There's two. There's two ways to do this one. There are two ways to do this one, and it just take. It took me like I have to. I I couldn't do it in the time that they had to, or at least work it out in my mind. And, the amount of time yeah. the movie depicts, but I paused it for one second once when I was watching. I was like, "Oh, okay, I got it." <laughs> but if you don't if you don't have them talking to it and you're not watching the movie and you can just sit and concentrate, yes. <laughs> and I like that that kind of Sam Jackson. They're both fathers in this movie, and he he, he kind of yeah. It, they they start they're relating to each other in in certain ways, and it's it's just fun watching their chemistry. So that's what no other Die Hard movie has is these two. <laughs> it's this is what makes this one stand out a lot. Well, in the in the first two films, you know, he's very much on his own. Yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's part of the isolation. Yeah. yeah. And 
you know, the fourth one, as you were discussing earlier, it has sort of a demographically appealing young sidekick type thing. Yeah. Um, and obviously the fifth film's going for the same thing, unfortunately. Well, unfortunately, but, you know, I, I, you know, if we acknowledge that the appeal of the original franchise was the idea of John McClane on his own in a hostile environment, then I think it's interesting that we're dealing with three out of five of the films where he's not alone. Um, and heck, in the in three and four, he actually has quite a bit of help. You know, well, he has before a... he needed someone to introduce him to the twenty first century. I mean... and, and, and Kevin Smith. Yes. And, yeah. Well, I mean, he spends the first three movies trying to work through being in the twentieth century. So. <laughs> Which that was a dream and nightmare come true for Kevin Smith, wasn't it? He, uh... The dream being Die Hard four. The the nightmare being Cop Out. Exactly. Yes. Um. <laughs> I like, it is kind of fun pointing out that there's two grown men trying to work out this kind of puzzle like yeah. <laughs> like, and it takes them quite a bit of time to do this like, like literally I don't get no. like, we don't, I don't want to try like that's, that's the reaction that <laughs> like, this... I'd like to think if I were in this park that I would notice these dirty bloodied men Playing around with jugs of water I mean, Scott, in the it, middle of the fountain. No, it's okay. I'm a cop. I'm a cop. It's no, a cop. Like if you're in like Century City in L.A. or something, maybe. But this is, you know, this is New York. Like I feel That's like true. I feel like it fits. I feel I feel like it's not something that would draw as as much attention to itself as it would in some other city. If like it, right. especially with that, you know, that other scene that they had where they already were like jumping through the crowds and like watch out, there's a bomb. They're like, all right, whatever, buddy. Like they have that. Yeah. It's a New York movie. It feels that there's that attitude there. I mean, yes, there are two bloody guys in a fountain in the Central Park or whatever, but... <laughs> no, I mean, you know, obviously there's nothing you do about that. If everybody notices them, the movie's over. Yeah. But again, what, uh, what are they going to do? Say, like, hey, you're standing in a fountain. That's weird. Like, that's there's no scene there. <laughs> like, happen to be over here. I like... So I guess those are all extras in the background walking their dogs in the park. And again, you know, we're, we're an hour into this film, and John McClane hasn't even has he even drawn his weapon at all. Um, no. I, mean, I know he hasn't killed anybody. I don't think he kills anyone till the elevator bit. I don't think he has. Uh, no, I don't, I... And you know, I, he he's been doing been doing a little bit of running and jumping, but again, when you think of action in terms of conflict, he hasn't actually engaged in any action yet. No, it's been very much a, a chase movie. Yeah, up to this point. Um, but again, it, it, it's nice that it, it really does deviate from the diehard formula. And I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, to bring back what Brandon mentioned, there are people that don't like this film because it is so different from the first two that in, in some ways you could argue that it's just, it's not a diehard movie. It's just an action picture where John McClane happens to be around. And it also could be like a response to something like in the post- last action hero world where you're getting to that point where you have to acknowledge that these movies are goofy to an extent, especially like the Schwarzenegger and the Stallone movies where they kill dozens and dozens of guys and really don't think about it too much. So you're like, okay, yeah. let's tone down our action hero and not have them kill so many people. Die Hard doesn't have that many fatalities, but Die Hard 2 yeah. certainly does. So like, yeah. it's in that kind of that post-action. Yeah. And, you know, Lethal Weapon 3 was somewhat toned down as well. Yeah. That is the lowest body count of the entire series. Yes, it does, yeah. Um... And it might have been just, you know, their response to, you know, I'm sure, you know, in the one, two, you know, six, year, 
seven years between Die Hard and Die Hard 3, you know, Die Hard, Inna, or Anna became a whole subgenre of itself. You know, uh, Speed, Under Siege, uh, Under Siege hard, 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Under Siege 2. Um, hard Rain. Uh, hard well that's, 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 that's after, after this that's after but it's that formula well it's, yeah and sudden death which was also after this sudden but, death you know. yep there you go um and of course you know die you know die hard ripoffs became the go to action genre of direct to vhs action films executive decision yep um, how many how many uh how many films did we see with die hard on a yeah yeah die hard and it, with yeah. and because the die hard formula allowed you to do a relatively cheap action picture because you were basically in one secluded location where you basically needed one hero, one damsel in distress, a bunch of disposable hostages, and a gang of faceless baddies, and you had an action movie for 10 bucks. And, and, as, and as a result, that you know, you saw a gajillion, you know, diehard ripoffs that you know, premiered on you know, HBO, Cinemax, you know, what have you. And um, Lethal Weapon did the same thing too, in terms of hey, we got a early. I guess Forty Eight Hours kind of did the same thing. Those those two movies kind of inspired yeah. like the whole but we buddy cops, oh, Rush Hour, Rush, Rush Hour, Hour. Bat, the Bad Boys films. Uh, yeah. Well, like, and then any number yeah, well, of I mean, like hey, here's a popular white actor, and here's a popular black actor, like or Asian actor, or whatever. Like <laughs> there's the, the there's, there's a Christmas there, drop. There's the young Ralph Macchio impersonator. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's interesting we bring up Rush Hour. I mean, getting back to, you know, how this film was different than a lot of what came afterwards, Rush Hour was actually a very important film in that it was slightly edited from an R to a PG-13, but it feels like an R-rated movie, more or less. And I remember seeing it back in 98, thinking, you know, if you're a kid that can't, you know, I was 18, so this wasn't an issue, but if you're a kid that can't, isn't allowed to see R-rated movies, you feel like you're getting away with something watching the first Rush Hour movie. I, really? I mean, because uh, uh, Jackie Chan's such a family-friendly performer. I mean, it's, a, it's a very violent picture. It's um, the, the, the wipe your blood off yourself line stuff. But, <laughs> but I, aside from it, that, it doesn't feel like a movie that was R that was... Well, agree to disagree, I guess. I mean, like, they were too, like, car- they were too cartoonish to make me feel like I was really... Well, they, but, the bad guys kill a lot of people in that movie. Yeah, but, but, but I mean, I've oh. seen Chris Tucker act in, like, because he did Money Talks right before. That's before, true, he did. That that's, was... that's a very R-rated movie, and um, uh, it feels like but, he is kind of like, all right, I'm a Jackie Chan movie now. Like, um, But I, I think with Rush Hour, what they were able to, what they realized is you were able to make some, a, a type of film that generally was, was an R-rated action picture. You could do it as a PG-13 film and make even more money. Because I would argue Rush Hour as an R-rated film wouldn't have made nearly as much as Rush Hour, the PG-13 film. I, I could agree that there there could have been a um, a version of that movie that's very R-rated if that came out like in an earlier part of the decade, then it would have probably been that way. But I, yeah. I feel I still feel like that movie. Especially, I, I feel like if I see, I have no I, no frame of reference to how that movie came together offhand, but I feel like once Jackie Chan was on board for Rush Hour, that movie was always going to be a PG-13 movie. If it was Jet Li, it could have been an R. <laughs> there you go. That is... And because we all know that Jet Li has so much charisma, <laughs> especially yes, in, in, Amer- in American movies. We all love Jet Li in American movies. Sorry. Uh, this is a funny bit for the villains. I mean, it has a level of humanity in, in terms of them addressing that bomb. 
when yeah. you get to the later, it's like there could be a kid or something. Like it, it, there's little touches where you realize this isn't a movie about just like we gotta kill anybody who gets in our way. It's more there's there's thought and logic that goes into this movie. You know, it should be our first clue that the bomb in the, the school is a fake. I just thought of that. I never <laughs> realized. <laughs> yeah, that's but... true. I like that too. It's <laughs> laundry day. <laughs> that's like that's a Willis line. That's like him coming up with that on the spot or something. Um, There's something else scripted. He's like, yeah, I got this. <laughs> and again, we're we're an hour and ten minutes into the the movie is about two hours long without credits. So we're basically almost at the, almost into the act three before we get our first John McClane centric action sequence. Uh there's something that you guys said earlier, which is true, is that most of the hard action in this film is in the third act. It's, a, um, it's when they split up, and now they split up. Yeah, you're right. Got to get to you know this oh. crazy elevator shootout scene, like, which is a great, great sequence. It, oh yeah, and it's heavily cut on TV, and I think we should point out that. Well, it has to be. I know it does, yeah. but let's point out that yeah. the Die Hard films are like some of the worst victims of edits when it comes to. I mean, not worse because you know how else <laughs> do you do it, but. These movies do not hold well on TV when you're dealing with uh, Part one, which I saw for the first time on regular television, was not that edited. I, I, I see that just because it's not as explicit yeah. in its violence as opposed yeah. to the other two. There's certainly uh, big squibs that go off. There's always one that I get yeah. to where it's like the bloody legs thing. Where like That's the one that I – but even that, I because I, I, again, I saw it for the first time on television, and most of that's intact. Okay, I'm not, so I'm not saying that the movies are incomprehensible because of the edits, but they're no, no, I understand. But they're hilariously cut in the way they're done. I mean, Guy yeah. Two has, of course, the famous Mr. Falcon line, where there's no, yeah. character, where there's no, no <laughs> character named Mr. Falcon. But how else do we get rid of Yippee Mother Effer? You say Mr. Falcon? That's like how was what they came. <laughs> this one, it's like Mr. Yippee my friend, I believe, in the in the cut, like. They almost should include some of those as a bonus feature. Just the, the various, I'm sure. Like, is it is it Crank that has like the uh, clean version? Uh, I know on, like, the, on the Blu-ray. The I know like the Edgar Wright's movies all or the first at least um, Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead have like the the clean versions of certain scenes where they're like what the funk and stuff like they do. <laughs> I know Super I, Super Bad did that. Super Bad, yeah. There's a, there, movies nowadays that are having more fun of special features. I mean they. They have fun showing the edited versions of things. That bloody scene, like that elevator scene, yeah. is so bloody, <laughs> it just splatters on. <laughs> and it's like, okay, we're back together again. No, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> like were, before this, it was all mayhem with John McClane. Now they're back together. Now we put the gun away. We're back. <laughs> yeah, it's not my blood. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a cop. <laughs> There we go. Now he's down to the wife beater. So, so the original, uh, the shooting title for this was Die Hard New York. Oh, huh. that's fairly bland, but nothing worse yeah. than Die Harder, I guess. Die Harder. Was that even? I... That's 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 the title, right? It is Die. It is. Yes. It is visually Die yes. Harder. It's not. That wasn't added after the fact. No, that was Die Harder. Yeah. Uh, which I is... think now on IMDb, it's just listed as Die Hard Two. And I think 
I don't think I think it's I think in the opening credits it's Die Hard Two, but in the end yes, credits it it's Die Hard Two, Die Harder. I think. Um, it is on the poster though. It's, it was on the poster. That's on yeah. the poster for sure. Yeah. Um, wow, that's not imaginative. <laughs> die, <laughs> die Harder. I admire, you know, I kind of wish this had been called, you know, Die Hardest. And then the fourth yes. one would just die, damn it. Yeah, I don't Yeah, I don't, well, that would have been too much. But I think Die Hardest, I don't know why they didn't just go for it with that, but that's... Um, I think this series and the Fast and Furious series have the best sequel names. Oh, for sure. Oh, no, there's no... Whoever came up with Too Fast and Furious, I, I hope is the president of Universal <laughs> right now. I, there's, there's, like, that's genius. Fat, too fast, too furious. Like, I can't imagine what the brainstorming session would have been. And, I, the, next, still... the next one has to be Fast and Furious Six, right? I I, I, <laughs> I, I like how the one of the mysteries of the Six Fast and Furious movie is that we have no idea what the title of it is. That is true. Like, you, I'm, I'm still waiting for Faster and Furious. Sir. Like I'm, I'm literally waiting for the Super Bowl just so I can see what the hell Fast and Furious <laughs> is called. <laughs> and then the next, I mean, if they do seven, it'd be like Seven Fast, Seven Furious. <laughs> That said, and I know, like, Scott, you're not a big – you like Fast Five, and that's pretty much it. I have I have, yeah. I have a strange affinity for the Fast and the Furious franchise. I, I recognize that they're not great films for sure. Fast and Furious is, you know, that's just point break, too. And, yeah. uh, but, <laughs> Fast, but, but Tokyo Drift, that's Karate Kid with cars, and I really like that. I think that's legitimately was the best of the series before Fast Five came out. So It, it, it didn't do much for me. I felt it was sort of, you know, a very bland variation on Star Wars. Yeah, but I like that it took it away from being like, well, there's criminal activities and car racing. It's just like, yeah, you're right. Story about a kid that goes, it's Karate Kid. Like, it, it, yeah, it, is. it worked for me. Because <laughs> uh, that's, because no, I, I like that formula. I like the Karate Kid formula in general. So I, en- I enjoy the sheer absurdity of the second film. I, I mean, again, I have a, a uh, for the series yeah. in general. So it's, yeah. Uh, and I think, and I may be mistaken, does anyone even get killed in the second film? I don't think there's a single on-screen death in that film. I could be mistaken. There are, there are Chuck... because, there because there's cars getting run over by trucks in that movie. In the... Well, fair enough. <laughs> but I, I know compared to like the first one, which has gunshot victims and people. Yeah, yeah. And like the, the third one has one death in particular. Yeah. That makes a, that's the reason why continuity exists for this series so strangely. Yeah. <laughs> but... Wait, if I thought I was getting invited back, I wouldn't have done this. Oh man. Um. Uh, anyway, back to Die Hard with a Vengeance. <laughs> Does everybody like this guy, the bomb expert? Uh, yes, I, I think he's fun. I, I like him. He's 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 a fun guy. I mean, he, you, don't, he, he, you don't get guys like him in movies anymore. He was like a typical nineties like, character. I yeah, I guess. Or well, he's a character actor doing obvious character acting. Okay, I'll get yeah. Okay, that I can. He's quirky. He's he's he is a character. Well, now you get like it's, I, it's obvious on the script in the script. It's obvious in his performance. Even yeah, then, we got like last week, Scott. We got Giovanni Ravisi as you know nerd character in Gangster Squad yes. who just takes takes all the calls. Like <laughs> even like I mean like back in the day, what else do you have like Philip Seymour Hoffman and Twister or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> Jack Black in the Jack Jack Black in the Jet or Enemy of the State, like all of those. Yeah, guys. yeah. Like the entire, or, uh, or I still know what you did last summer. Okay. <laughs> yes, in terms of Jack Black doing obscure roles. But oh, wait, okay. Jack Blackson, I know what you did last summer. Yes, he is. So the second. 
the second one. I still know what you did last summer. He's got dreadlocks. um, I will take your word for it. I saw that movie once sort of when it first came out on video. Don't worry about it. But the uh, Enemy of the State is a perfect example of – I mean, I guess Tony Scott films in general are all examples of we cast everybody we had in this movie. (laughs) Well, and that's – you know, a lot of people like to pick on Michael Bay, but one of the things I think Michael Bay does very well is he he fills his films with with character actors. I could talk great about Michael Bay all day. Like, yeah. regardless of some of the movies that I just don't like, I mean, he yeah. he's an auteur. Like, it's no, there's yeah. no questioning that fact. I think. Uh, I mean, his films are almost too well cast in some, you know. I mean, certain you, have, you have half a Coen Brothers movie in Transformers Three. Yeah, like, it's, well, it's obvious he loves the Coen Brothers because he's always casting. You know, they're they're players. Yeah. Um. And I would argue that Pain and Gain is his attempt to do a Coen Brothers type that's, crime that's what, you know, picture. That's what I've heard so far about it. Yeah. About the humor in that movie. There is a uh, car that was on wires. Um, yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> I love that they see like 14 dump trucks and then they look left and like, wait, there's one there. And they immediately go after this guy. <laughs> and then this guy's like the coolest guy in the movie. He like, he, 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 oh, yeah. he knows good yeah. media. He helps to like clean out. I'm so glad that he doesn't get randomly killed in this movie. Yes. I'm glad McLean doesn't randomly kill him since later on he randomly, you know, shoots up some guys, you know, he kills a guy who doesn't even know who's in the truck. I don't. Yeah, he's probably a bad guy, but. I mean, I think he has a little bit. Yeah. I'm a stereotypical New Yorker. (laughs) (laughs) Of course I'm a corrupt driver. (laughs) This guy's hilarious. What's his name? Jerry? Is it Jerry? I think it's Jerry. I think so. (laughs) Jerry the truck driver. (laughs) Chester A. Arthur. (laughs) That's right. I've got some random information for you. <laughs> the Catskills next to the camp for Marthy, Marcy, and Marlene. <laughs> That's where I imagine they get the water from, from John Hawks. <laughs> Snubbed. <laughs> Snubbed. As much as I think the sessions is okay, I, I wish John Hawks got nominated for that movie. He's really good in there. Could have put aside, all right, okay, with Denzel Washington, and put in John Hawks. <laughs> I don't want to talk about the Oscars, but flight, best writing, come on. What are we, who are we getting? That's silly. <laughs> no, <I don't> <laughs> that's, that's silly. That's silly uh, talk. <laughs> that's, that's my problem with it is it's screenplay, frankly. It is. It's exactly my problem. That's, that's you know, that's why it fails. I, I asked you all for your worst scenes of the year for the Out Now Awards thing that we did, and um, I had flight for the ending of flight. That was my worst scene of the year. What did I pick? I don't remember. Uh, I think I picked the last five minutes of Hitchcock. Hitchcock, and, uh, and you didn't like the the reveal in Life of Pi, apparently. <laughs> but yes, that's uh, discussion for another day. <laughs> yes. I think I, I think I just put pick a scene from Piranha Piranha Three D D. Yep. <laughs> Once again, John McClane and Sam Jackson are separating, which means that people are going to die soon. <laughs> Stuff's gonna blow. Hey, up. look, an open grate. I wonder if that will hit any part later. <laughs> Pay no attention to the random hole in the ceiling. That how can John see up? Was that like a point of view shot? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the movie really does just establish that for no apparent reason. Besides, hey, this might be important later. I'm surprised this guy doesn't leave. Go, I'm gonna go get a slice of pizza. <laughs> Give me a slice. I'll go check out the local ball game scores. <laughs> how are the Mets doing? My brother's a plumber, by the way. Did I mention that? He works in apartments over in the Harlem districts. <laughs> gonna, gonna go home, catch the Knickerbocker game. <laughs> Man, that Spike Lee's making some good movies these days. I do like those Knicks. <laughs> Obviously, I'm a film buff. I know a lot about a lot of things. 
Here's our keeping it with Christmas. Exactly. The good Christmas reference we have. Good thing those were bad guys. Uh, I have the perfect song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, the, has anyone heard the Die Hard song? No, I've not. That, that'll be the closer for this podcast episode, but I'll try to... There's a Die Hard song? I will send you... Let me find... I'll find the link right now. I'll put it in the chat box thing, but... Wait, wait, wait. Context, please. There is a... There is a Die Hard tribute song that's pretty awesome. Pretty... Like on the end credits? No. Like, no. Like, I mean... Oh, okay. Like a, no. a parody song that caps the films. But... Oh, like okay. that Quantum of Solace... Oh, okay. ...song you like. Yes. Brandon, uh, are you aware of the Die Hard? I'm not... I think I may or may not have... Okay, I'll send the... Heard it. Oh. I got it. It's pretty awesome. Or it's very entertaining for me anyway. I really like I have it on my iPod and when I hear it I'm like, yes, I'll listen to this. That's not a link. Don't check that one. It's a virus. Oh yeah, and he knows all about the president. There it is. That, <laughs> Chester A. Arthur. <laughs> Chester A. Arthur. <laughs> to be fair to be fair, I knew this president because I I happen to know President Trivia pretty well, but <laughs> it was like, it was humorous to me that they're like, oh yeah, Chester A. Arthur, we, and they had all this information about him. It was, <laughs> I, and so, okay, so we have this plot, which I never really think about too much, but I assume there are snipers that were going to kill John McClane in the scene if he was here? Yeah. That's the implied yeah. thing? Yeah. Not much of a riddle. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, this guy's just going to literally just take out John McClane, and I assume Zeus as well, if, uh. Yeah, I wanted to get both of them. So good for Zeus, then, for not being with John McClane at this point. <laughs> but, like, that riddle, that's like the anti-Jim Carrey Riddler riddle, right? Just game over. They were going to snipe somebody <laughs> at Yankee Stadium. Yeah. <laughs> that was the extent. How did he get into Yankee Stadium, by the way? He's just a random Samaritan, right? Well, yeah, and how these terrorists get in? They're 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 well dressed and have money. Like, come on. Yeah, okay. He's just okay. some he's some black guy from Harlem. How did he get the Yankee Stadium on an off day? Okay. He, he just walk in. Is that is that a lot? <laughs> Can we go to New York not during baseball season? Just walk into Yankee Stadium. Can we walk into y- Yankees are a dirty organization. Did, did he ties. did he get a did he get a badge from Giuliani or something? Yes, it ties to Gruber. Hey, it's me, Jerry, the, the construction yeah, worker. Yeah, Jerry. I have some information for you. He is a typical New Yorker. Who is this guy? Let me look him up. I, <laughs> this guy's amazing. Jerry. I hope he's, he's probably going around. No, he probably hasn't done anything else. He goes around. You ever see Die Hard with a baby? I hope he's at Comic Con. <laughs> I, I hope I see him at Comic Con this year. I want to go to Comic Con and see Jerry, the construction worker for Die Hard with a baby. <laughs> Here we go. Jerry Parks, hit by Joe Zaloub. It would have been really depressing if he died, but he hasn't. He's still alive. Which is, that's 18 years ago. His possibility is not with us anymore. Um, he was in Kinsey as a janitor. He mm-hmm. was in Happy End. That's a movie named Kareem. That's a movie with, Aud- with Audrey Tatao and Justin Thoreau, apparently. Okay. Huh. From 2003. He was in The Perfect You as Rahid. Which starred who is this? Jenny McCarthy. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then random TV shows, all New York based. Third Watch, Law and Order, Spin City. He was in Rounders as Kronos. Oh, Kronos. Kronos. Yeah, it looks like Dyer out of his claim to fame. He just other random, like hot. <laughs> he three in a row: cappuccino vendor, hot dog vendor, street vendor. <laughs> truck driver and he debuted as a bartender in kojak one episode crew new yorker yep 
Yep, from Utica, New York, July 30th, 1944. Broadway, Broadway actor. Oh, so he's been hitting the stage. So, okay. It is, next time I go to New York, I look for one of those Joe Zaloom plays. That's what I gotta do. Anyway, back to the rest of this movie. And this is the first time they actually communicate in this film. No, it is. Well, you're right. I'm the phone calls. They the phone calls. Yeah. They've, they've communicated plenty in this movie, actually. Never mind. <laughs> the whole movie's based on riddles. <laughs> uh, brain fart. But in terms of, I guess, you know, having a heart to heart chit chat. Yeah, more more colorful banter, as he put it. Yeah. <clears throat> and so now you have. Simon getting kind of frustrated with the fact that John McClane's alive, so it's it's starting to re- it's resembling the find the ointment type thing that Hans Gruber had. First. Making his migraines be- worse, mainly because Simon essentially got away with his plan at this point. Yeah, like he's yeah. he's he's already succeeded. It's just a matter of now he has to get out of town, and uh, John McClane's there to kind of be the fly in the ointment. There's just one man he completely and totally counted on. <laughs> he should have. He should have. He should have placed his bet on the one man who was able to fool his brother's plan, be not being the one to fall for the the same games at the same time three times in a row. Or... Maybe he should have just shot him the morning before, or just you know put a remote on the bomb instead of a timer. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. would have been might have been a good way to go. After watching this and uh, Temple of Doom, I have no idea how fast water travels in confined spaces. (laughs) (laughs) I hope to never find out. Ooh, a simple machine. McLean has obviously never worked a pivot system. (laughs) If I put this under this, I can lift it. Instinct was to draw the gun. A little little J.J. Abrams lens flare in this scene, too. There we go. Ooh. Maybe this was the inspiration. Yeah. I'm telling you. Children of Men. You guys remember that scene in Die Hard with a Vengeance where he pulls his gun out in the tunnels? Yeah. Is that the one with all that lens flare? Yeah. Exactly. That's what I'm thinking. I want that everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. Poster. On the... First scene, same scene. Good cut, by the way, of the water not entering the wide area, but just the tunnel. <laughs> yes. It's like R2 not quite reaching a, a vertical step. <laughs> Here comes the water! <laughs> now, okay, does this push it to the limit for you guys? Is this... Nope. What, about the implausibility of this? I don't care. It's a Die Hard movie. Thank you. That Die Hard 2 does feature him going out of an ejector seat into the air before a bomb yeah. goes off. I mean, yeah. it's, it's and, and the first the one whole... he wrapped the he wrapped a fire hose around himself and jumped off the building. Yeah, oh. it just fits the whole bigger happens in the sequels type deal as opposed to this is wildly implausible. Well, this is hilarious. This part too. right here, boom. Yes. Just... <laughs> well, it happens to be there. Yeah, no, the timing is amazing. Yeah, yeah. Which Sam Jackson adjusts because the dialogue is fun. You have a hell of a way of flagging a man down, McLean. <laughs> like, that's an amazing. Yeah, yeah. 
No, it, it's just, it's funny. It, I guess it depends what age people get at, but they'll forgive over-the-top moments in films they saw as kids or were made before their time, but, you know, something in their era goes over the top. It's just not allowed. Which is, ironically, something is my problem. Like, I'm very hyper, I'm very, um, very much a hypocrite because Die Hard, with Live Fear Die Hard, it does do that, and it does make me question that movie because he's jumping off jet planes and stuff, but I have an issue with that, and it's because of that exact reason. I know it's, I know it's, it should be expected to an extent in a Die Hard movie, but I'm like, Ah, he's on a jet plane. That's that's kind of bogus to me. I don't. Well, I I think yeah. it's 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 not a good scene, which causes you to question its logic. Yeah, yeah that, that you know it, yeah. it's clear that it was added somewhat at the last minute for whatever reason. And it's kind of it's really um, funny. it's him driving on a freeway that's blowing up behind him, and he's yeah. on the wing of a Harrier. All of a sudden, it's like it, it's out of yeah. you have no idea where this is taking place. Why there's no one around? It's just that too. Yeah, it's like it's strangely it's, empty in the streets during all this. <laughs> Yeah, like it, it's, car it's just an obvious piece. Did we ever see the start of this? Yes, we did see the start of yeah, this car but chase. It does, it does, it, but it does just kind of, it does throw us into it. It doesn't let us follow yeah. this chase. We are just like, and a car chase starts. Cut away to something yeah. else. Also, we're still mid-car chase. Like, yeah, it yeah. has a neat approach to it. And the shot that ends this car chase where he spins around and shoots was the key uh, trailer image. It's a cool shot, and a yeah. shot that's since been replicated many times. On a good day, he's a great cop. Yeah. On a bad day, he's the best there is. And it also leads to Sam Jackson. It leads to it. It, it kind of highlights some of Sam Jackson's character in this in this scene because you he's not this he's not this guy. He's not used to seeing this out yeah. of violence. And you see him react to John McClane having just killed a couple people. It's kind of like yeah, yeah. I'm just a, I'm. It, it reflects the fact that yeah, he is just a good Samaritan caught up in this craziness that John McClane has gone through a couple times before. Oh. And this this I I tell you what when I was young and still sometimes I watch it this school. Uh, escape is quite intense. It is intense. Like Graham Greene trying to get those kids out yeah. last minute. Like I'm pretty oh, yeah. worried for like a bomb going off. Like, and then the bomb does go. I mean, it goes off. The I mean, the it's not a real bomb, but it's a it's you're a, like oh my god, it's a it's a good jump moment of oh it's just that oh, yeah. like yeah it, it works it's effective like that's how fun that's how fun this movie is. Yeah. I mean, it it gets you racing. It doesn't worry about, ooh, blood, oh, this. It, it gets the thrills and the intensity. Without resorting to McLean saying, how can the same thing happen to the same guy three times in the past yes. couple years? <laughs> <laughs> get, get up in the morning, smoke some cigarettes, watch some Captain <laughs> Kangaroo. By the way. Go I... wear a sandwich sign down in Harlem. I... I love that the the lead the lead um, critic quote they went with for the poster is "fun with a vengeance." Like, that's, yes, yes. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's a clever one. That's a good pull quote for the movie. Here it comes, Die Hard in a city. <laughs> <laughs> Which didn't the Matrix start taking away the Die Hard quotes once that came out? I don't follow. In terms of, it's uh, the Matrix. Well, well, you know, oh, yes, 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 die yes. hard on a bus, die hard on a ship. Like, didn't the Matrix start taking, like, better than the Matrix? Or... No, yeah, better than the Matrix the... is something or like, uh, in the, like, yeah, Matrix in a poll quote became a thing for a while. I do recall this. Yeah. yeah. Like, I think Equilibrium had it on there. Didn't Wanted have? Yeah. Well. It's, it's like, Wanted's like, it's the Fight Club and the Matrix combined. Like, it's that, it was that kind of thing. <laughs> Sadly, that's actually an accurate statement. It, it's her, well, I mean, <laughs> Just, in the broad yeah. terms, yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, 
that's one of my pet peeves when you have, you know, blurbs that are objective statements. That's like, you know, Drew Barrymore is Cinderella. That's the one thing I like about that's my run-on. true. <laughs> that's what you like about what? It's the one thing I like about my run-on sentences in my reviews. I don't I don't lend myself to po- poll quotes very easily. <laughs> my wife constantly gives me grief that I don't get right like a poll quoter. <laughs> like, why don't you write like Thor brings the thunder? It's like, I can't write like that. That's terrible. <laughs> I, I, try to, I try to save it for the title and then I give up. I mean, I was tempted to say, you know, The Last Stand and Arnold Schwarzenegger's best film in a decade. <laughs> I, I snuck one in for my Last Stand title. Stick around for Arnold's Last Stand. I, I was happy with this. <laughs> and here we go. Here, here's um, Sam Jackson. This gives like a look. He's just like, nope, he, he's dead. I'm not, well, I'm not going in there. He's all tough till he gets real. Yeah. Too real. He's seen too many. He's seen too much violence in Harlem. <laughs> the violence in Harlem could never have prepared him for this. Yeah, he, he's trying to do the right thing. Ooh! As the... <laughs> what are we saying? Though? Oh, yeah, the Matrix poll quote things. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, this, yeah, that that did kind of take over the, and even like in in terms of just style too, because every every trailer wanted to show their, hey, we have slow mo technology, also, guys. <laughs> I remember Art of War was, like, one of the first ones to do that, too. The Wesley Snipes film. Where oh, yeah. They show, like, the bullets coming. Like, look at him dodge that bullet. Oh, my God. It's like the Matrix, but blacker. <laughs> is that, that's that's just, another unapologetically R-rated film. It is. It's, that's just a cruel, vicious movie. It is, and that's I think that's that's why it bombs so hard. Yeah. Like, well, it's also not that good. Yeah, well, that, that helps, yeah. <laughs> that didn't help. <laughs> the, the, the box office prowess of Ann Archer didn't prove itself in too, too No. Michael Bean is not a box office draw, guys. Which is really sad because he should. Yeah. How yeah. it how he like let that slip through his fingers or how it did, it's amazing. Well, I mean, it's it's I guess you know. James Cameron just didn't make enough films. Well, Navy I, Seals didn't take off the way he wanted it to. Yeah. Hmm. Now you, you had the tunnel part is over the top, but them jumping on the boat. <laughs> the boat is that the bo- that's yeah. a bit more the boat thing's my my indiana jones fridge scene it's just like yeah that makes sense <laughs> they, they said well I, yeah. I love they basically fall off a bridge i mean yes i mean they, there, there's yeah. there's very they don't provide- jump they fall yeah. basically like it, yeah and i mean they land hard yeah they land really hard from a high distance on metal yeah like it's not like, <laughs> there's no getting around the fact that they would not be getting up from this situation Meanwhile, like, like it's cut in half, so like yeah, which is played for laughs essentially. Uh, a lot of cops here. <laughs> See, <laughs> Zeus really threw himself into this situation, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> I feel like he probably could have sat this one out, but oh, he, yeah, he would. So it's a, hey, if you're with me, you're going. <laughs> Really didn't think this went too far ahead, too, right? Like, surely we could climb to this boat from this wire before it travels far enough that the boat, the line stops. <laughs> Look on Samuel L. Jackson's face when this goes. Oh yeah, I wish I, I wish I had this wallpaper. Oh, I think oh, that's always that's like oh man, um. and that's physical effects. We don't need no CG there. <laughs> And yeah, that does not look good. 
I think it almost feels like they added that green screenshot just to show that it wasn't as high as it could have been. Yeah. My uh, my, my uh, subtitle said thud. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's one of the the things about the John McClane character is that he's not that bright, so he often doesn't think things through. Air, you know, and thus he often follows his sort of kamikaze instincts. I, I don't think it's that that he's that bright. I think it's more of Indiana Jones if he's doing it as he he makes it up as it goes along. Like he's certainly yeah, that he, I think he certainly. I mean, you know, in Die Hard, he's like writing down names and giving all yeah. Things. I mean, he's, like he, he's he's a clever cop. He's a he's a good cop. Yeah, he's a cop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Has, um, and, so I'm and not like, saying he's dumb, but <laughs> yeah, that's a great bit. It's played for laughs though. Like this guy got horrifically <laughs> shot in half, and Sam Jackson's willingly participating in that part, right? Well, I mean, he's 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 also like you know Rocky Balboa, where he can just keep taking punches. Yeah, he takes a lick and but keeps on taking. Yeah. yeah. Man, Art of War—that's not a good movie at all. <laughs> there's at there least three one of them? sequel. There's, yeah, there's, I think there's. Uh, I I know there's at least there's one a, more. I, I will take your word for it. And and Wesley came back for all of them, right? <laughs> but I don't want to do Blade. It's called Blade, not well, Reynolds. Well, well no, well, he got forced out of Blade. Yeah, right, well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it, oh. it seemed like a, it almost seemed like a boring situation involving those Blade. Like, I, I feel like those stories match up very well in terms of David S. Goyer's what he wanted to do versus what the directors and Wesley Snipes wanted to do. And Blade once film. again, the directors and Wesley Snipes were right. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's actually it's very similar. What I think about it, it now, actually. You know, yeah. it's, it's surprising that uh, he's not been asked to do an Expendables. Well, he's in, he's in jail. jail. Well, well, once he's out of jail. I, <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him, but I feel like Wesley Snipes likes to do what because, I feel like Wesley Snipes does what Wesley Snipes does because that's what Wesley Snipes does. I feel like that's kind of... <laughs> I mean, he did Passenger 57, which is Die Hard on a Plane. Yeah. But there's one man they didn't count on. Well, you know, always been on black, but I mean... Yes. <laughs> Wesley Snipes actually. Wesley Snipes is one of those guys from the '90s who had a, you know, he he was action guy as well. He was. But he, he was started in the out first... like dramatic actor, right? I mean, yes. Uh, well, he started out in Michael Jackson's Bad Video. That's right. That's where yeah. he made his debut, directed by Martin Scorsese. Yeah. Um. And he was in the first two Art of Wars. He was not in the third. He was in the two, he was in the second Art of War. He was. Wow. That, uh, you know, I, I do forget that Wesley Snipes also has not been exactly the most pro- prolific and sought-after actor of the 2000s. So I would not. Yeah. He's been in a lot of direct-to-DVD movies. So, I mean, he was, he turned down Shaft, right? He was the original choice. Was he? Yeah, I will take your word for that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he was he was the original choice, and then I love to like that Shaft is something I I know there's behind-the-scenes stories about that I just don't know, and I can't ever find the information on. That's something I'd love to know more about one day because I know yeah. John Singleton and Sam Jackson did not get along in that movie. Well, yeah. Jackson was pissed when he saw the final cut and they had the body double sex scenes. Yeah, because he didn't know about it and he was against it. Well, I I think it's interesting enough. I mean, I like Shaft. But I think arguably the biggest problem I have with Shaft is that it's Jackson playing somewhat of a cartoonish version of, hey, look at Sam Jackson as Shaft in the middle of a relatively like a realistic, badass. yeah, and in an otherwise very realistic, you know, gritty crime story. Well, what's, yeah, what's amazing about Shaft is Chris, Christian Bale and Jeffrey Wright are amazing in that movie. <laughs> like, oh, they're, yeah. They're, they're great. Yeah. They're unnecessarily. No, and 
Tony Collette. Tony Collette. Yeah, like it's a great actors movie. It's just happy yeah. to be set this it's... Sam Jackson the movie. Uh, I, I think the original choice was actually Don Cheadle, who of course was a was you know wasn't box office back then. Yeah. And I think that would have been a better choice for the kind of movie they wanted to make. Yeah, that would because that I mean that would just take that. Would, yeah, well, I mean he's I mean he's playing what Mouse in um, yeah Devil, Devil Blue Dress with Denzel Washington. That's a that's a great that was a great role for him. I'd like to see him yeah. more. Sub, I could see him playing Shaft. I could see that. Yeah. in two thousand. And it, it wouldn't have been as as you know again I don't want to say cartoonish because it, it wasn't that bad per se, but it was a very aware performance. For sure, yeah, and I feel like Don Cheadle then could have do it. Now I feel like he's not that because I, I love Don Cheadle, but now I feel like he's too much in on. If he wanted to play comedic, he's too much in on being a comedic character to, to yeah. take the Shaft character more seriously. I guess. Well, he's Captain Planet. Yeah, now. exactly. That's what I'm referring to. Yeah. Basically, like that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, back to Die Hard of a Vengeance. We are at the you know he's fight, he's fighting the the. the the main henchman character is getting the shit kicked out of him, but of course something happens where he can get the get the uh, the upper hand in the situation. Yeah. We also went by the uh, the when uh, Iron, Jeremy Irons shoots Samuel Jackson in the kneecap. Yeah, yeah, which is wow, just brutal. And Jeremy Irons just plays it so cool and doesn't punch nothing. He, he, he's he, eating he, an egg. He's eating an egg. Just, but he also he doesn't straight up execute him, which is you know no. Very, it's not he doesn't he doesn't need to be that guy if he doesn't have to be. Sure, he's willing to let him sit in the the tanker that was going to explode anyway, but he's not about to just execute this man. Well, yeah, so he he brought this guy into it and he's, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was willing, I guess the snipers were willing to kill him if needed, but I mean, he it's not him that's the one that's like, "All right, I'm going to just take him out right now." Here comes Graham Greene's hero moment. You know, I forgot the uh Slight coincidence that it is Sam Jackson's kids that are caught up in all this, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's set up early on that you know he, they think that they think that all these cops are there because they stole a radio or whatever. Uh, I don't remember all the details of the opening scene, but and also yeah, it's a contrivance, yeah. but it it you know it it doesn't violate anything that's been established. It, it increases the intensity in the situation. And here's yeah, yeah, it does. It yeah, rather than just being some random kids, we know them for sure. Also, do we know exactly if well he must have done it before? Like Sam Jackson has kids in Chester A. Arthur High Middle School or whatever. Did, did did does Gruber know that he has kids in? There's that shot right there, right, Scott? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the, the just the oh, blood beard, oh, blood beard, <laughs> blood mustache. The um, yeah, which he just cleaned. But would uh, yeah, but would Gruber know that that Zeus had kids in Chester A. Arthur Middle I don't School? Know. Do you think I that, guess uh, I always that, that has to be a coincidence, right? That's yes. funny because every time I watch this film, I figure it's not. But you're right. There's, there's no real... it, this, this plan is too far in in planning for that to not be a coincidence. Exactly because you, you have to you have to deliver this giant thing into yeah. the pool. So it's like, how do what do you plan for that? Well, he would have to hope in order for this to work. He would have to hope that when he sends him out there with the sandwich board, that he would come. Zeus would come out. Exactly, yeah, he, yeah, exactly. Get himself involved. <laughs> Assuming that he didn't have it delivered after the fact, but that'd be a weird change. Yeah. But if. If if they're in if they live in Harlem and this school, this school would be in that district. It's not too far fetched to. The bomb would be near. Have the plan be you know they were planning on stuff in that area to begin with. Okay, yeah, so that, yeah, so it doesn't. It's not as much of a contrivance that that or a conven. It's not too much of a convenience that it happens to be there necessarily. I guess that's the yeah way to think, the way to argue this. <laughs> and yeah, Graham Greene kicking ass right here. 
And the other one. What's her name? Sorry. Don't, <laughs> don't know her name offhand. Col- uh, Colleen Camp's character. Yeah, there you go. Real cool stuff, guys. <laughs> Yeah, I freaked out for a second. I was like, oh, man. I did, too, because I, I was, like, legit, was like, wait, does that mean it went off? Like, I just had no idea. <laughs> also, what pancake syrup's red? It's red! It makes the strawberry stuff from, like, IHOP, you know? <coughs> God, his arm looks just terrible. <laughs> like, it's like going to fall off. Also, Simon's men are all blonde. Yep. Yes. He, he, he's leading an Aryan terrorist organization. <laughs> and there's Will Sasso's stunt double. Yes. You're not blonde, you will shave your head. Oh, he said the thing already, too, right? I'm not, I'm not a monster. <laughs> you know the, the thing with the first one and this one the Grubers they, they you know if we weren't from different countries or have different agendas we'd probably be good friends yeah. well even John Amos would probably be McLean's friend in some other life yeah but you know who wouldn't want he's to, got enough friends who wouldn't want to be <laughs> <laughs> oh, only three people that know Die Hard too well enough will get that joke um Yep. <laughs> but who would want to be friends with John Amos, right? He owns, exactly. he owns McDougal's or whatever from coming to America. <laughs> he's a prince. Now, is there a reason he's he was like holding the napkin around the remote control, like he just wanted fingerprints or something? Or is that just a character detail? That's the, that's the way you disguised your voice back in the day, he right? Cleaning up all the, I he guess. was cleaning up the eggs on his hands. Now, because I can't just shoot you or have someone else shoot you. I'm going to lower you into it, a very slow, elaborate death trap. To be fair, I mean, the idea of reven- getting revenge on your brother, I mean, what better place than a giant bomb oh, yeah. set to explode? <laughs> like... You know, I forget that McLean actually didn't kill him, the, um, the second-in-command guy. He's still alive. Uh, no, she uh, yeah, shoots she, him. Or, yeah, she yeah. shoots him, yeah. Yeah, I forget that part. He, he, he just kind of beat the hell out of him. Yeah. Because yeah. and that's because the second in command guy he thinks that they're all they are doing yeah. it for like terrorist causes and not because they want the one the money. Double double crosses, guys. I wonder what the villain in Die Hard 5 is going to be like. I'm purposely not looking up anything about it just because I don't want to ruin it for myself. Yeah. I, I, I tend to respect... It doesn't, I, it doesn't seem very interesting I, from the I, I tend to respect marketing that way. If, like, if you yeah. don't want to show me, I'm not going to look it up, but still. It could be... And this is the, the aspirin bottle that gets yeah. him. We'll <clears throat> talk about the alternate ending when we get to that point. Yes. It's, it's an yeah. interesting concept, which I have. Have you guys watched it? 
Yes. Yeah, so we'll, we'll talk about that later. So. There's actually another ending that was in the script early on that they ditched. We'll get there. For now, let's, let's focus on this brutal murder of the second in command. Is she like Israeli or is she German? She's German, right? Yeah, I believe she's German. Well, she's got to be because she's blonde. So there you go. I imagine they just left his body on the boat. <laughs> Why not? Kaboom. Yep. And I guess most of the German in this one and the first one is gibberish. And not really broken up. Uh, I never. I took German. I've never really listened to it that hard, besides just the simple lines like Scheistein Fenster, but which is which is mm-hmm. which is good. But uh, actually, Scheistein Fenster is more shoot the window, but that is what he's talking about. So. Shoot the glass. Use a key. Still, still, still at it. Still got it. Let me let me remove this piece of wire from inside of my body so you can make a lockpick. (laughs) Don't drop it. Don't drop it. Cup your hand. It's a hell of a spit. Grease, blood. Yeah, these guys are dirty. <laughs> Sweat. Tears. Tears. Spinning wheel. Stubble. <laughs> Hangovers. Heart. Yeah, he's still hungover, yeah. right? He, he, he asked him for the aspirin. That's why he has the aspirin, because he, right. he's had a headache all day. That's right. Yeah, when we start every Die Hard, his wife, his uh, wife beater is completely white, and it's gray black by the end of. At least for at least one and three, yeah. Yeah. Two, he's relatively comfortable. He's got a parka on the whole time. He's doing. Well. That's right. Four, four does get back to him being just, just nasty, even though he's got like a whole show. Yeah. On. And two, two is Willis's personal least favorite. Oh yeah, I I, yeah. I mean. As with most people, I'd imagine, but yeah, but yeah, no, I, yeah, I know Willis was he was happy. He's happy about this movie. He likes what happened in this one. He liked what happened before. Yeah, he was, happy, he was happy before. Well, that, well they have a special feature on the, the Blu-ray, just him talking about how happy he is with with, with, with him. It kept <laughs> sitting on stairs. Yeah, exactly. It's like shooting the shit with Willis or something like that. Yeah. I think one of the things I like about four, I actually mentioned this to you, Aaron, you know, unrelated conversation, is that four is really the only one that has sort of, other than the first one, that actually has a character arc for John McClane, where he goes from point A to point B. Uh, two and three, he's, he basically just goes through an adventure. It's, you know, today on Die Hard. Yeah, I, I, could, I could see that yeah. for sure. And it is a way to, yeah, it is a way to, because, yeah, again, I do, I like 4, I don't I just don't love it, but, I mean, it, it is, 
it has things to offer for sure. I, I've um, always enjoyed four a lot. I yeah, mean, I, it's more of like I and, enjoy. I don't. I just don't watch it enough. I guess because I I feel like. I, I like it less when I think about it again and again, but when I do watch it, I do have fun watching it. So it's more of a same, it's kind of almost the same with Indiana Jones Four. It's either it's easy for me to bash the movie, even though I generally like it, but when I watch it, I do have a mostly good time. I, yeah. yeah, I I recently just revisited Indiana Jones Four, and I I was a defender of it. I'm a little less after this viewing because I hadn't seen it in a long time, but it's nowhere near as bad as people. Oh, make for it sure, out, and yeah. certainly the first hour i'm surprised we're minutes. still living on the earth after people's reactions to that movie <laughs> here's, here's the other christmas time right well just more of the, the jingle no way they could have got away that from that explosion it would have been vaporized yeah, oh my god and then smash cut to them on the shore <laughs> what do you well, what fantastical situations in cinema? No. <laughs> is there like a deleted scene where they make a raft or something, or is that part of it? Like one of the ultimate endings? <laughs> I think there is. Like, a... yeah, there, yeah. And the the original that that scripted ending that I had uh, that I mentioned earlier, the it, the bomb. There was no bomb on the boat mm-hmm. with their escape, and I think they had a raft in that. It wasn't filmed, but. Um, it, it ended on kind of a joke ending with Samuel L. Jackson talking about how bad it was they got away, and uh, a bomb from earlier that was used for the dam. Oh, the, they the, had they had they had taken it themselves. The briefcase bomb. The briefcase bomb, and uh, and somehow you see Gruber's people wind up getting blown up. Oh, and it, I get it. And it'd be like, hey, does anyone have like a four gallon jug because we got to disarm this? Um, yes, okay. yes, yes. That was yes. Okay. That was and that was the end of the film. Interesting. I've never heard that. Well, speaking of, we can talk right. about the endings now too because we're pretty much getting there. The, right do you yeah. want to? Do you want to explain the the <laughs> alternate ending that was filmed for this movie? Uh, that was yes. filmed. Yeah. Um. Basically, Gruber gets away with everything, and it cuts to later in. I don't remember what country it is. Do you know what country? I do not um, know. Uh, or, Let's say Eastern Hemisphere, okay. and yes. um, he uh, McLean meets up with Hans Gruber. He's tracked him down. You mean he, the other Gruber? Nah, yes. <laughs> now, many months later, up, if I recall. Uh, no, it's Simon Gruber. He meets up. Yeah, it's with like him. yeah, it's like many months later. Yeah, and he's been he's been like yeah. fired from the NYPD. Yeah, yeah. He's been fired from the NYPD. He followed the lead off the bottle himself. Um, Gruber melted all the gold into. Uh, Empire State State Buildings, yeah. Smuggled him. Um, He's been kind of a... People in his own country and stuff don't like him or something. They After him, not happy. But they they sit at a desk and share some banter. And McLean offers him to play a game of like some sort of Russian roulette with a rocket launcher, a mini it's one. Like a, it's that a has, Chinese rocket launcher, so it's like... Yeah, and it's got the sights taken off of it, so you don't know which end is firing out and... He asks him a riddle, and uh, he fires the rocket launcher, and it shoots himself off. And like McLean, yeah, like he blows himself up, and like McLean's been uh, wearing a uh, like a flak jacket, so so like it never mattered. <laughs> it never mattered, yeah, because McLean holds him at gunpoint to do yeah. it, and yeah, it never would have mattered. And I, it's it's okay. I don't mind this ending. I'm, 
I know a lot of people hate it. I don't hate this ending. It just, I always feel like we've kind of just jumped to it somehow without enough, yeah. like, wait, how did we get here? Like, it's it just kind of like, oh, ask for bottle. Like, that's like this one kind of give. Well, and here at the sex scene, McTiernan, when they were doing reshoots, he's like, well, my film's already getting an R, so I might as well throw a sex scene <laughs> in here. <laughs> But yeah, it's an interesting, and I know they like they took that out because they thought it they, they thought it presented McClain, John McClane as too much of like an evil schemer in the realm of things as opposed to a guy that's just fighting. Well, he kills someone in cold yeah, blood. Yeah, opposed like, to being a guy that's fighting for his life, which he ends up doing out, out for quote unquote vengeance. And uh, <laughs> but the, uh, the screenwriter uh, like argued that no, no, I wanted to put, I wanted to show that you know Simon Gruber pushed him to this level, and he was a bad guy that was able to take him this far, but... It doesn't really reflect the rest of his character throughout this movie, though. It's not like it's not like you see John no. McClane doing darker and darker things because Simon's games are messing with his mind. Yeah. It, do, it doesn't fit with the movie at all, oh, really. Yeah. I mean, it's, it feels way out of context. It's well, like, I, think, I mean, know, a different series, even. It just, <laughs> it just doesn't... Well, I think, you know, the, the ending of this film was always going to present a problem because, you know, once you get to the... They get off the boat, the boat blows up, and then the story ends, but then they're then well we gotta kill the bad guy, so we have to do something. Yeah. And it's it's not like for example the other Die Hard movies where you know the film goes you know you know from A to B to C and then hey look it's the final battle and the bad guy's dead. It's just it's a time jump. It's an awkward time. It jump. is. It feels like and my most recent example would be uh, the Adventures of Tintin. Like you have that entire chase sequence that goes like that's that whole one shot scene. and It's all this crazy action. Yeah. It really peaks right there. So then you get to like oh we still have to catch the villain and it's kind of like it's I'll, yeah. go, I'll go more recent. I'll up you more yeah. recent. Django Unchained. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> I I know why that ending's there. I just I I I'm not saying I'm against it. I'm just yeah yeah. Saying that it's same. I, same thing where you have the huge shootout, take a break for a minute, and then you go back and finish it. Yeah, I I agree with the in terms of the the way that story moves. Yes, um, the intentions different. <laughs> <laughs> Number one movie for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Brandon, he picked that as number one for the year. I didn't. I'm, I didn't I'm not going to fight over. I was just using it I know, as an I know, example. I guess positive or negative. I, I was first the first person to say I actually like this ending. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did not uh, mind when Jacob went back and totally blew the woman away through that room. That was great. And, and um, Sam Jackson. <laughs> and Sam Jackson. Yeah. Speaking of Sam Jackson, why is he in this scene? Yeah. Right. He's like, yeah, hey, that's the, can I get on the helicopter with you? Like, <laughs> I want to go to more danger. Well, he went. To, he went on the boat. I want to see this thing through, McLean. I don't need to go to a hospital to treat my leg that got Jeez, shot. Why, why are you yelling? I don't know. Did <laughs> they crash? <laughs> why did they get this helicopter? It wasn't, wasn't it Chappelle, Dave Chappelle is like, I yells when I talk. Exactly. Yeah. It's my <laughs> beer. Yes, they deserve to die. <laughs> I hope they burn in hell. It's time to kill. That's after this. Yeah, uh, a year later. Yeah, yeah it's ninety six, right? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Schumacher did Forever this year, and they did that next year. Yes. Go. Now, now close your eyes. Now imagine that girl is white. Oh. <gasps> yeah, not a fan of that one. <laughs> no. 
I McConaughey's oh. solid in that movie. Yeah. But no, it's very well acted. Oh. Um, it just it removes a lot of the moral gray zones that the novel acknowledged. Yeah, he he was running um, along as it was with the two and a half hours, so I guess he didn't have time. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Only two bullets, just like uh, Hans. Yeah. How many bullets does it take to uh, take down a Gruber? Two. That is something I like in *Live Free or Die Hard*. Just become my my just my my favorite joke of any movie. It's, you just killed a helicopter with a car. Is that a bullets? Like that's anytime, <laughs> like someone dies obscurely in a movie by not by gunfire, but by like a giant thing hitting them or something. It's like oh, is that a bullets? Like that's just the greatest go-to line there is. Do you guys prefer the the unrated cut of *Live Free or Die Hard* or the PG thirteen? I've honestly only watched the unrated cut once. Yeah, I uh... did, it was not I mean, I don't like. I don't. It, it, a bunch of added fucks don't really do much. It's, for pretty, it's. I mean, I don't know. It's almost because I've just. I've seen. I saw that. I saw Live for Your Die Hard. Like I think like a few times before, like at least two or three times before seeing the unrated cut on DVD. And so it's like I was already used to it by then. So it's just more like I'm used to the movie enough where it didn't really make a difference to me at that point because that's just not what that movie was. So it's like, oh, now this dialogue's here. Okay, it's still plenty violent as a PG. Like. Is there even much, is there much violence added in the unrated cut? I can't recall. Uh, there's so. a lot of there's CGI blood and there's a few shots here and there of people who have already who were shot off screen where you see their bodies in the unrated uh. cut. Uh, but no, it's still I mean it's you know it's very much the original version is very much an R thirteen. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean it, the it, suggested violence in some of the scenes is far worse than anything they could have. Yeah, shot. like the worst scene in Die in with with uh, in Live Free or Die Hard I think is when he like puts the guy in the chair and like pushes him down the stairs and it's like. And yeah. you see the guy's like bloodied body. It's like this looks pretty hard. No, it's it's in its own way, it's just as violent as the previous three films. Um, it's got a higher body count than this one or part one. Um, and it's just got you know point blank executions galore. Um, but no, it's it's a prototypical R thirteen. Um, let's see, and that's a wrap, folks. Yeah, yeah we're. Uh... We, we, we've wrapped up Die Hard with Vengeance here. We had our we had our Yippie and so that means the movie that's the it's now become the official closer to the movie as opposed to Die Hard where he says it midway through and people seem to forget that all the time. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I mean, he does. You know, he sort of calls back to it at the very but end. Not but not even him. It's Hans, Hans yeah. Gruber says it to him. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so it's like, um. Well, still pretty good. Yeah, I, I love yeah, watching this movie. I still love it. Still love like, it. I watched this movie basically with the sound off, so I would not be surprised if I found myself watching it again before I watched Live for Your Die Hard just so I can hear the movie. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I do plan to watch Live for Your Die Hard as well just to be, you know, all caught up and ready for a good day to die hard. To die Man, the, uh, who chose this? <laughs> a good day to die hard. We just, they really hate numbers. Do you think there's a logic to that? Like, do people just hate numbers? Well, you know what it is? Something I've noticed. If a franchise foregoes a a generic number or you know Roman numeral or otherwise for one sequel, it generally there are a couple exceptions foregoes them for every sequel afterwards. You know, uh, the the exceptions. The only exception I can think of offhand is the Rambo series, where it went from <laughs> makes no, which never <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> oh yeah. 
went from first like, blood I wonder to... where where is Rambo two because it goes from first blood part two or Rambo which is first blood part two but then straight to Rambo three yeah, exactly which would technically <laughs> be first blood part three um and and, and the other exception is Alien which goes from Alien to Aliens to Alien Cube. <laughs> I remember when it was like X Men and X Men Squared for like the longest time then it became X two yeah. X Men United yeah. Um, and then, then X-Men The Last Stand. Yeah. yeah. And then X-Men Origins Wolverine. <laughs> and then X-Men, like that, yeah, the sequel logic. Well, there's there's also the stupid studio thing where they're like, well, if there's a number next to it, people are going to worry that they haven't seen the previous one. So if we put a, just a generic title, which people will know, it'll bring more box office because they'll be like, oh, it's just a movie with Bruce Willis and not the fifth Die Hard movie, whereas it shouldn't be an issue nowadays, and it, with home video being as big as it is, people catch up to these things. Yeah. So they shouldn't fear sense. putting a number. About that. It does. They shouldn't fear putting a number. I mean, back in the day, I understand, because, and that's why a lot of the you, the old horror movies would have the last you know seven minutes of the previous film at the yeah. beginning, because you didn't have people catching up like they did. You didn't have a mass influx of VHS. Heck, by the time the next one came out, the previous one might not have even been out on VHS back then. But nowadays, people catch up. That's why I think Terminator 2 did it really well. I mean, it didn't even... It, it That's a very smart movie in terms of how it sets itself as, as a sequel, but also a film that works as a standalone. It doesn't have to... Well, it's a that's remake. Well, yeah. Cameron's, yeah, basically. Yeah. It's Evil Dead 2, Terminator style. That's a perfect um, way to say it, yes. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, Evil Dead Two is an amazing feat of remaking that movie. It, yeah, okay. Um, and you know, Cameron, of course, cut out a scene with Michael Bean in the second film because it required you to have seen the first exactly. film. Yeah. Uh, now I disagree. I think that scene should have been in there, but whatever. That's why I generally watch the extended cut when I watch that film. Well, I don't think that scene's particularly well acted in that movie. Oh, uh, I agree, but I like the continuity. Uh, yeah, I like. Well, I think you've argued this before. Like uh, you've argued this, but like the Christopher Lee scene in um, Return of the King, it's a scene that yeah. would, no Scott. It's, 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 it's a scene that would make sense maybe, but it's a yeah. horribly acted scene. I don't yeah, think Michael Bean and William Hamilton are horrible in that scene, but I do think it feels yeah. out of step with the rest of the film. Um, but no, and there are other scenes that I like in the extended cut. So it's it's. I agree. Um, yeah, there are like there's that cool scene with the the chip and like what they yeah yeah. yeah. Um, let's see. Oh, but no, I, 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 I like as a general rule, and you know, this isn't one way or another. I like when sequels kind of require you to have seen the the previous one. I like that, you know, I like when they say, you know what, this is a sequel. We're going to assume you've seen the one that came before. And if you have, we're going to reward you. And the most deserving of that award would be the Saw franchise. Oh, dear God, yes. <laughs> um, and that's one of the reasons I like the Saw franchise. Because if you haven't so... seen the previous one within the past week, you might not even know. <laughs> well, that was the joke I was always telling uh, back when, you know, two and a half years ago, when Saw 7 came out in theaters, there was an incident where a bunch of, you know, moviegoers went to a screening of Megamind and Saw 7 started playing A instead. bunch of very, very young moviegoers. Yes. Very, <laughs> yeah. And the joke I made after that was, you know, if that had happened with Allison, I would have been furious. There's no way I'm explaining to my kid what happened in the first six Saw films. <laughs> that would take forever. <laughs> All right. So th- that's going to bring us to the end here. We've been talking. Okay. We're talking Die Hard of a Vengeance. I hope that you guys enjoyed this. I 
from what I hear, people like these commentaries, guys, so we're happy to do them. It's always a fun, fun blast to do. Um, you can, just to close out the show, you can uh, find more of my work at thecodazeek.com and um, follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash aaronsps3. Scott, where can people find more of your work? Uh, Mendelssohn's Memos is the main home base. I do syndicate an Huffington Post, but go to Mendelssohn's Memos. All right. And Brandon? I put memos on Mendelssohn's Memos. Great. And um, by the time this commentary comes out, I'm sure that your diehard retrospectives will have um, hit the hit the web, perhaps? Probably. Uh, they, they should start probably next All week. All right. So, yeah, the, the, you, you guys can you know be sure to check out Mendelssohn's Memos. I'm sure. Well, <laughs> I'm sure. Next week from when we're doing yeah, this. Yeah, so uh, I, I, I'm sure Brandon probably wrote some really good write-ups about the Die Hard films, since I certainly enjoy reading his. They were fantastic. I I I might write them again. <laughs> Great. And of course, you can find all the other episodes. You can find all the other episodes of Out Now out there in an on iTunes and hhwlod.com, outnow.podomatic.com. Email us at outnowpodcast@gmail.com. Other commentaries you want to hear for other movies? We it's fun to do. Just give us give us some setup and. Um, Masters of the Universe. Masters of the Universe. Not a bad idea. We'll see. But uh, but <laughs> deep, deep rising first, of course. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's going to do it. So uh, thanks for listening. If you stuck through the entire commentary. And uh, yeah, so long and goodbye. Remember when we first met John McClane? Argyle picked him up from the plane and took him down the Nakatomi Tower to meet with Holly. He came to get her back and to be her man. But Hans and his buddies fucked up the plan. And that's about when everything went sour at the Christmas party. And the terrorists were overzealous, but they were sweet when they killed Ellis. And with a little help from With Samuel Jackson and the good cop wouldn't miss this.
we got a choice and the choice is plain. We can live free or we can die hard, as hard as we can. From taking on a terrorist he's never led, to taking on an F-35 jet, with the greatest car explosions by far. They sure look sweet, man, and we know what the basic gist is, there ain't no out. 